0: It's not loud enough? Dave, if you're listening up there, can you turn that turn the power up a little bit on the audio? We're not loud enough. They, they can't hear it, they say. Good enough? Can you can you hear us? <clears throat> Is it getting louder now? Yes. Praise the Lord. Okay, good. Can you hear it better now? Okay. Very good. He, he's way up there where he can't see. He can see me on four cameras, but he can't see me <laughs> through the wall. Yeah, he's got, he's got cameras all over the place in this place. And he's got one up there and one back there and one back there and one back there. So he can see everything in the room, but we don't have no holes in the wall, but he can hear me through the audio. He's, he's listening up there. So, uh, he's behind the scenes. But he can hear and see everything. So that sounds about right, does it? You can hear that okay? Okay, praise the Lord. We're gonna get ready to get started. It is now. Yeah, are we all are we okay? Huh? Okay, we're Huh? It's okay. 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 Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Since so he's got that camera set just like he wants it set, we're ready to get started. I think. <clears throat> I think we're ready. I don't know if he's on and recording yet, but we're gonna we're gonna start today. What is today, the 25th? Today is the 25th of March, 2006. The Healing School, March 26, 2006. So let's come to the Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful, Lord, that with the name of Jesus, we can come to you. We can come to you, Lord, by this new covenant that you've made that you've made and satisfied yourself through the blood of your Son, that we, as your obedient children that obey you, can come into the throne of grace anytime we want to in times of need for mercy. And, Lord, we're thankful we come to you today repenting of every sin, known and unknown. We ask you to wash us in your blood, purify us and cleanse us of everything, Even the things we don't even know we've done, that's sin. Because I'm sure there is things we do that we don't know is sin because we don't know enough about your word. So, Lord, forgive us of everything. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that we can do that. Knowing that we're forgiven, we're washed in the blood. Lord, thank you today for giving us power over our enemy, the devil. Thank you, Lord, for making the devil subject to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this great and awesome covenant that you made. Thank you for the first covenant you made to Israel. And you told us and showed us over and over and over the examples of what you would do if those people would obey. And then, Lord, thank you when you come to the New Testament. You showed us what we could do if we'd obey and be your children. And it greatly changed at the New Testament. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And I rebuke the enemy today. I command the enemy to get his hands off of us, off of this room, and off of the people that are here today. And that he not blind our mind to one single word of the truth of the Word of God. And Lord, I ask you to quicken our hearts to the Word. Help us, Lord, that we might truly Hear your words and obey your words. That we might be about your business. And let everything we do today be based around your word. And then may you confirm the teachings of your mighty word. With healings and signs and miracles and wonders. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the word. Now bless us as we go forth in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the King, praise the King, praise the King, praise the King. You know, I'm, we're going to uh, really get into some uh, Old Testament today. I want to confirm to you some of these things that happened uh, in the Old Covenant. I realize you and I, if we will walk in obedience to God's Word, we are not under that covenant anymore. But the portion about obeying has never changed. God even expects us to obey more so today than He did before. You know, before He promised what He would do if they would obey. But today, God has shown us the things that we could do if we obey that's beyond our wildest dreams. But under the old covenant, they didn't have these privileges. They just had a few privileges. Their privileges was if they would obey, and do what God says under the old covenant. He just promised to make them prosperous and successful and take all sickness and disease away from them and none of their families be barren or none of them would, none of their, either the people or the livestock would cast their young. In other words, there would be no miscarriages or anything like that. He just promised to bless them. Wow. Who could want a better covenant than that? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? But he promised us that under the old covenant. Just think, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do, I will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you will have none. That's pretty awesome promise, isn't it? So there's got to be a problem You know, here we are today the church with a better covenant and we got all the sickness and disease in the church. So there's something wrong somewhere that we're not doing right. You know, and that that was my question. You know, when I would read when, when I'd read a scripture, in fact I'm gonna I'm gonna read a scripture before I get into my outline and I'm gonna go back to Exodus fifteen and I'm gonna just confirm this. I didn't put this in my teaching today but I want to confirm this to you. I just want to show you what the Lord says in Exodus 15.26 under this Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant in Exodus 15.26, and He said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in His sight, and will give ear to His commandments, and keep all of his statutes, then I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, he promises if we will diligently seek him. Praise the Lord. The thing that I have come to realize as I have studied this covenant, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, I've come to realize that our problem in the church is number one. The number one problem in the church is the Lord commanded both under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy strength. Anybody read that before? You read that too. You read that book. You must have read the book too, huh? We must have the same Bible. Had the same Bible. By the way, I just happened to think about it. If you've got a cell phone, uh, I forgot to tell you to either put it on silent or or turn it off or whatever, so it don't ring. But I had forgot to do that myself, and I I, I hate I hate it when my phone goes off during the meeting, especially right beside my microphone. It sounds bad. <clears throat> But anyway, I think about, the Lord told us, I read this in the Old Testament, and I read it in the New Testament. He says, put no other gods before me. Love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And this is the first commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your mind, heart, and strength. And I think... You know, what does that mean? What does that mean to love the Lord thy God and serve Him and serve no other gods? What does it mean to do that? Well, (laughs) I've come to realize most of us as Christians were just like myself. I didn't have a clue what it meant to put God first. I mean, yeah, I went to church on Sunday. Every Sunday. I mean, Sunday morning, you know, morning Bible study and worship service, we called it, and back on Sunday night, and then on Wednesday night service, and then a lot of time we'd have Tuesday night visitation, I went then too. I mean, I mean, give me a break. How much more does God want? You know? I mean, I'm giving Him a few hours on Sunday, and uh, a couple of hours on Tuesday, and uh, a couple of hours on Wednesday. I mean, surely he wouldn't want no more than that. But I come to realize that was not enough. That was not enough. He wanted me to put him first in everything. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing should be on my heart is I should be loving Jesus. I mean, through the day, I should be praising his him for all he does. I mean, when I go to work, I'm not to forget Jesus when I leave the house and go to work. I'm not to turn on the secular radio and listen to secular stuff all day and give him no time. I used to do that, you know. But I'd turn on the radio and I'd listen to that old country and western music. Man, I mean, I was hung up on that stuff, you know. I used to really love that stuff, you know. Especially that, you know, I can still remember some of those done somebody wrong songs, you know. You know, I mean that's all that stuff was. It was all stuff that did not glorify God. But I was hung up on it, you know. And then I started listening to Christian stuff in church, and I thought, wow. And then my pastor one day said something about we ought to listen to Christian radio. And I thought, what? Okay, so I thought, well, I'll start listening to. I'll see if I can find one of these stations he's talking about, and. I started on the way to work in the morning. It happened when I was going to work. I turned on one of those stations, he said, and there was old J. Vernon McGee with Through the Bible in five years. He was exactly what I needed at the time. I was not ready for the stuff I walk in today. I didn't even know this stuff existed. But I learned a lot listening to J. Vernon. You know, I mean, I began to... The Lord led me into it, you know, slowly. But as I got into it more and more... And begin to read and study the Word myself, I started giving God more time. I'd give Him, you know, I'd go start reading. I'd listen to Jay Vernon, and then I'd go home that night. Sometimes I'd read an hour or two. And I'd think about, well, He's here in Proverbs now. Let me see what He said. And I'd read it, and sometimes I'd get new revelation. I thought, well, gee, He's, the Lord says this. He didn't really expound on that, but He made this statement. So I wonder why He didn't expound on that. But I begin to see things in the Word, and I begin to see the requirements of serving the Lord, putting Him first. And whenever <clears throat> the nation of Israel didn't put Him first, when they would turn and they would serve other gods. Now, they, they might go to church every Sunday to, to the sanctuary, and they may sacrifice and do all that kind of stuff. But they would still go out and serve other gods, you know, just like us. I mean, we go out and serve other gods today in the church. We don't see this putting God first. But, you know, when you put anything before God, you're putting God second. And so when we go to work on Monday morning, if we go to church on Sunday and then Monday morning, we get up and we don't read the word. We don't pray. We don't talk to God, but we're dedicated to work. And you don't talk about Jesus. You don't sing his praises. You don't pray over your morning breakfast. You don't pray over your meal at noon. I mean, uh, who could do that? I mean, I'm in a cafeteria, a public cafeteria. You couldn't expect me to dare bow my head and pray a prayer out loud in a cafeteria. People think I'm crazy. You're not serving God. You're afraid of man and not God. And so, But I used to live there. So I know exactly what I'm talking about, and I never got to see God do any kind of miracles or healings or nothing else. In fact, I even had sickness and disease, quite a bit of it. But the more I read this book, the more I realized that when he says, You've got to put me first, he meant what he said. <clears throat> My first experience of divine healing with a man with stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer That was what God revealed to me had happened to this man. Actually revealed it to that man, and then that man told me. Because the Lord told me whenever I went to this man's room that night, here he is. He would had surgery that day, and they had opened him up and looked inside of him, and they... Checked him, and they said, you have stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer in every organ of your body. There's no hope. You're going to die. There's not anything you can do. Nothing. So, when they said there's nothing you can do. Nothing. That there's not even a tiny chance that you can recover. But it's a 100% chance you're going to die. Well, what does the average Christian do? They go home to die. And that's exactly what he went home to do, was to die. But the Lord had spoke to me and told me that if I would tell him to do what he had told me to do in the Word, he would heal him. But he couldn't believe it, and it was a little bit difficult for me because... I was raised up in a Baptist church and of course I had no knowledge of these scriptures but here it is written in God's word. So anyway for this particular man for this particular man the Lord had told me clearly I heard his audible voice speak to me and tell me to tell this man to do what the scripture says. Now under the new covenant I want you to see this promise that God made. Now this man had sin Now, I'll tell you what his sin was in a minute, but this man had sin. Now, we didn't know it, because if you had to ask me about this man, is this man a great Christian? Now, if you are going to church somewhere, and the guy is in Sunday school every Sunday morning, if you have a Sunday school, and he's in the worship service every Sunday morning, and he's back on Sunday night, and even sometimes he's there on Wednesday night, would you consider this guy a great Christian? I mean, you know, he don't cuss, he don't drink, he don't smoke. And him and his wife are legitimate business people in the community. And some say, you think this guy's a great Christian? I mean, I'd have said, absolutely, one of the best we got. But see, my interpretation of a good Christian and God's interpretation, two different things. I thought this guy was a great Christian. But <clears throat> this man came down at 42 age 42, with a terminal cancer. Now, that's not exactly the report a 42-year-old wants. I mean, most 42-year-olds are just barely getting started living. You don't want to have cancer at 42, and the doctor tells tell you you've only got weeks left to live. That's just not what you want to hear. But that's what happened to this man. So when the Lord told me what to do to him, he gave me a promise in His Word with a New Covenant that would guarantee to heal Him. And I'm going to show you what that is. Now, this is under the New Covenant, but in James chapter 5, I want to show you this magnificent promise. And I don't know why the church don't use this, because it's in the New Covenant. It's written in the Word. And this is for every pastor in every church that's that's a Church of the Lord Jesus Christ that believes this book that we supposedly teach out of, the Word of God. Now, this one happens to be the King James Version, but the King James, the New King James, the Living Bible, the New Living Translation, the the Darby, uh, I've read them all, the Amplified. They all have this same verse in it. You know, so I don't know how we miss it. I don't know how I missed it so many years. But here is a promise in James 5, 14, 15, and 16 that's written to the church. So, I mean, there ever pastor in the world should teach this verse once in a while to his people so that if anybody in his church gets sick, they ought to know that the church is a hospital for people to come to if they want to get healed. Because God has promised us to heal us. Look, and this is the verse the Lord uh, revealed to me, spoke it to me that night. And in James 5.14, he says, Is any sick among you? Now, this man was among the church. So who is any sick among you include? Does that include everybody in the church? It's supposed to. I mean, I think I'm an anybody, don't you? Okay, if you're an anyone... He says, Is any sick among you? Then he says, Let him, that person, call for the elders of the church and have them and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. Now not the prayer of unbelief. Now you know, if you go to a church and you got a pastor or you got deacons or elders or whatever, and you call them and tell them you want to be anointed and prayed over, to be healed, if you've got a problem, first thing you need to do is you need to repent of your sins. That's something, because it says a little further down there, confess your false one to another as you may be healed. So you'll see that in there. But you need to be taught that you confess your sin, find out what your sin is, known or unknown, make sure you confess your sins, and then have the elders or deacons or pastor or whatever Pray the prayer of faith over you. Now, the prayer of faith does not include, Lord, if it be your will, will you please heal, brother or sister, so-and-so. Because if you put that little word, if it be your will, when he made clear what his will was right here in the Word, you will not get your answer. He is a faith God, and he does not like it when you call him a liar. So when you say, if it be your will, after you read his will that's calling God a liar and he don't like to be called a liar i found out the hard way so he likes to be called the truth so when he says there and the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith shall save the sick not maybe it says it will and the lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins they shall be forgiven him now, what an awesome statement from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if then he says in verse 16, So confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now then, the men that do the praying must recognize they are righteous. Now then, let me ask this question to all of you in this room today. How many of you know the verse, or know a verse in the Scripture that guarantees you you are righteous? Do you know a verse that guarantees you're righteous? Do you know where it's found? Anybody? The bread plate of righteousness. Ma'am. The Bread plate of Righteousness Okay. Okay and there there's another one. Now this one that JC just stated is absolutely a confirmed fact already been done. If you know 2 Corinthians 5:21, that verse when you read that verse will let you know who you are because without the knowledge of the word, I here's what I hear all time. People say, well, boy, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I just wish we could find a righteous man. You know, I can't find any righteous men in my church. The average man, I walk up to deacons in Baptist, well, I used to be a Baptist, that's why I say that. I used to walk up to a deacon in a Baptist church, and I would make the statement to the guy, I said, Are you righteous? Oh no, Thurman, I'm just an old worthless sinner, saved by grace. Well, you don't want him praying for you. You don't want him praying for you, because there ain't nothing going to happen. He does not know the Word. He does not know who he is. And he's calling God a liar. He's saying the blood of Jesus was not good enough to make him righteous. Now, do you think God would be happy about that if he sent his son to die for you and to make you the righteousness of God in Christ? And you turn around and say, I'm not righteous. I'm just a wicked sinner. That means the blood of Jesus was not good enough to clean you up and make you whole. So, that's where we, the, a lack of knowledge of the word is our problem. So, let's turn back from here to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's go back there and see what that says. 2 Corinthians 5:21. <clears throat> Let's read verse 17 first. In 2 Corinthians 5:17 it says, "Therefore, If any man be in Christ, now that's man or woman, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creature. So when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became a new creature if you really accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you became a born-again creature or a child of God, you became a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So you're a new creature in Christ, if you did become a child of God. Now, a lot of people go through life, their whole life, live and die, and never know they're a new creature. So the devil deceives them, and he's able to stay with you and pull you out into the world as a born-again child of God, because you've never renewed your mind with the Word of God, so you don't know who you are. I mean, you just think, well, when I went down to church and got saved or somebody led me to Jesus, and of course, most people never get led to Jesus out on the streets. You know, that's why so many people out there are lost, because we as Christians don't do what we're supposed to do. We don't talk to people outside out there. I mean, I think here a while back I went up north to preach, and I went to a little restaurant, and this little girl, she'd come over there to wait on me, and the man that picked me up at the airport, he wanted to know if I wanted something to eat. And I said, well, I guess that would be nice. Before so we went to the church, and I was going to an Assembly of God church that night. And so we went by this little restaurant, and we sat down there, and this girl brought our water. And I said, uh, she said, can I take your order? And I said, yes, but before you take my order, I want to ask you a question. She said, certainly, sir. What is it? I said, are you a born-again Christian? She looked at me, and she said, "My what? I said, a born-again Christian, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, she said, I don't guess. I said, well, you need to know him. I said, think about this for a minute. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so you could have eternal life. I said, now then, you can go get our order, and when you bring it back, be thinking about this. So she left. I rebuked the devil, commanded the devil to stop blinding her mind to the truth of the Word of God. And I asked the Holy Spirit to begin to convict her of sin and draw her into the kingdom of God. And I said, now, Father, let me be the labor, if it's possible, to bring this young lady into the kingdom. I said, thank you, Lord. I see, I did all that scripturally. Because he said, if there's anybody lost, they're lost because the God of this world is blinding their mind to the gospel. And then he says in Luke ten nineteen and 20, all power is given to me over the devil, and the devil has to be subject to me. So by knowing those things... I made the devil subject to me. And in John six forty four, he says, No one comes into the kingdom except to be drawn by the Father. Well, how does the Father draw people? By the Holy Ghost. So you ask him to do all those things. Since he's a faith God, and he told us to pray for the Father to send labors into the harvest. So I said, Lord, let me be the laborer, if possible, to bring this girl into the kingdom. So when she came back with her meal, I said, now then, have you thought about what I said? She said, well, yes, I have been thinking about that. I said, you know, it's this easy. All you've got to do is accept Jesus and say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Well, she said, well, I really don't know how to do that. I said, would you think you might be interested in that? She said, well, yes. I said, just pray this prayer with me. And she said, well, I've I, I really got work to do here. I said, it's only going to take a second. She said, it's that easy, that quick? I said, sure. I said, say, so, Father, in the name of Jesus. She said, Father, in the name of Jesus. She said, I, I repent of my sins and I ask you to forgive me and ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Lord, for saving me in Jesus' name. I said, thank you for saving you. She said, Lord, thank you for saving me. She said, it's that easy? Did the Lord make it that easy? Did he say to anyone that calls on the name of Jesus, will be saved? That's what he said. So led that little girl to Jesus while she was waiting on our table. That's how easy it is to lead people to the kingdom. So every one of us need to be out there about the king's work. Because this is the first commandment the king gave us just before he left to go back to heaven. The very first statement he said as he's getting ready to go back to heaven, he said, Now... I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And to all them that will believe and be baptized, will be saved. But those that won't believe will be damned to hell. See? So when we pray for people and do what he says, he brings them into the kingdom. But if we don't go out and do what we're supposed to do, if we don't do that, then people don't get saved. So if we don't teach people in the church about how to be healed, they don't get healed. You know, Because people cannot go beyond knowledge of the Word of God. So we need first to be about the king's business of getting people saved. This is the most important thing we do. We should sit down with people everywhere we go, anybody we come in contact with. I don't care if it's a person at a restaurant. I don't care if it's at a gas station attendant. I don't care who it is. We should talk to people about Jesus. And we've not done that in the church. And that's why the church today is falling apart. That's why our world is falling apart. And that's why all the devastating curses are coming upon America and upon the nation. And you and I are suffering the benefits of the curses. Even though we're in church, we're not being obedient to do what God says. So... These sicknesses and diseases and everything are coming upon us, even in the church. For God told us, even under the old covenant, if we would just be obedient to do what he said, he would take all sickness and disease away from us. And then he made this promise to us a while ago, the prayer under the new covenant, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, people don't know they're righteous. But when we go to 2 Corinthians 5, we found in verse 17, that if any creature, any person is in Christ, he's a new creature. So you've got to see yourself as a new creature. And then you've got to see yourself like God sees you. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he makes this awesome statement. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who's he talking about? Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus was the only man that ever come to this earth that never knew sin. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now then, if he made you the righteousness of God once you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior... It's not that you don't have enough faith after you become a born-again child of God to get things done. Now, before you become a child of God, Jesus was teaching these men that walked with Him on the earth what they could do as men if they had faith or knowledge of the Word. He was teaching them what they could do. But once we become children of God, it's no longer a problem of not having enough faith. It's a problem now of knowing who we are in Christ. Because once you learn who you are in Christ, and you realize, hey, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm righteous. Well, that ought to make you want to walk as perfect as you can, because God sees you as a perfect, righteous person. So that ought to put in your heart, a burning desire to be that righteous person. Now then, that means that Christians, if they see themselves as the righteousness of God in Christ, that means they're going to walk in obedience to His Word. That means they're going to love people. They're going to love their mates, their husbands, their wives, their children. They're going to walk in obedience to God's Word. Is that not true? I mean, if you, if just think, Let's, let's use this as an example. Uh, I, this is the best parallel I guess I could put with this. Let's say I was a little uh, underprivileged child out there that had been cast off, and I didn't have a mother and a daddy. I didn't have nobody to take care of me, and I was 10 years old, and uh, I was just out there, and I was having to live out of trash cans. And I've seen people like that in the world. I've been places in the world where I've seen people living like that. I mean, you got rags, no shoes, you got rags on, and you're having to scrounge for something out of the trash can. How would you like to live like that? No place to sleep at night, sleeping outside. That's awful. But there is people in the world that live like that. Let's say that one day a man came along that saw me, and this guy was driving a great, big, fancy, high-dollar automobile. And he had a chauffeur, even. And he stopped and he said, Hey, son. Where do you live? And I said, well, sir, I don't have a home. He said, how would you like to come live at my house? I've got a great big house with lots of extra rooms. I'd be happy to adopt you and bring you into my home. And you think, this has got to be too good to be true. This guy, that don't even know me. He's going to adopt me and bring You serious? The guy said, yeah, come get in my car. Well, so I get in his car. We go down to the lawyer's office and he fills out the paperwork and he adopts me and gives me his name. He said, now then, everything I have is yours. You know, when you become adopted by a person, you can never be taken out of the will. You know, you can take your real kids out, but you can't take your adopted kids out. Isn't that amazing? That's the law in the state of Texas. If you are adopted, you can never take them out of the will. But if they're your real children, you can. I thought how amazing that is but that's a law but now then we've been adopted into the kingdom of god so once we get adopted into the kingdom we're we're awesome it, we are adopted into his kingdom and once we get adopted into the kingdom we become ambassadors for christ we become the righteousness of god in christ we become as if we had never sinned we've been justified Just as if we've never sinned. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't it amazing how God sees us when we become children of God? This new covenant is beyond our wildest dreams. So now we're children of God. We're the righteousness of God. And just like that little boy... If I was that little boy, once he adopted me, and then he took me down to the store and he bought me a whole bunch of new clothes. We take off all that junk that I got on, all the old dirty clothes. He runs me has, runs me through a beautiful shower and washes and scrubs my hair and gets me all cleaned up, cuts my hair, fixes me up, puts on a nice, beautiful suit of clothes and everything, and then buys me a whole wardrobe, wardrobe and takes it up and gives me the whole upper floor in one of his mansions. And says, when you get old enough, son, I'll buy you a car. But in the meantime, I'll give you a beautiful 10-speed bicycle down there. You think, wow, have I really changed. And then he takes me downstairs and sets me at his table, and there's everything in the world to eat I ever wanted. And I sat down and I eat what I want. Now then, I go out for a ride on my bicycle with my nice clothes on. Do you think I ever want to go back into that world that I came back from? No, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to pull off them beautiful clothes and put on them rags. I don't want to lay down that bicycle and start walking again. I don't want to go down there and eat out of that trash can. I mean, I know I can go home to my daddy's, my adopted daddy's table and I can eat anything he's got. So why should I stop at the trash can and eat out of the trash like I used to have to? It's amazing how many Christians do that. We continue to eat out of the trash cans because we don't know who we are. We have not seen ourselves like the Word of God sees us. Jesus said in Second Corinthians 5.21, Did He say there? For He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So now, if He made you the righteousness of God in Christ, how many of you see yourself as righteousness? Now, some of you still just barely holding up your hand. You had not got it yet. I mean, when I say, how many of you is righteous? You ought to say, I'm righteous because Jesus made me righteous. I mean, we should not be ashamed of that. If somebody goes out and you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I have the power to lay hands on the sick and cast out devils. In Jesus' name. You know, you've got to see yourself like this. If you see yourself like God sees you and you proclaim out of your mouth what his word says about you, then you can see the king do great and mighty things. Because, I mean, we go out and we pray for the sick and we say, Oh God, please, if it be your will, will you heal so and so? See, you don't know who you are. You have no idea who you are or the power that he's given you. And you have no idea that he's a faith God and that he expects you to act in faith on behalf of his word. And so when you don't act in faith, he doesn't do anything because you're not quoting his word to him. And also, this book is a law book and the best law book in the world. And we got... God here on one side, we got His Son Jesus, which is the best lawyer in the universe, and He wrote the book. And we got this other law- lawyer, which is next best lawyer, and that's the devil. And he knows the book. He said eons to study it, so he knows everything about this book. We know he knows this book, and he we know he knows it. Well, he doesn't understand all of it, but he knows it because we know. That 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here, he quoted the word to Jesus. So we know he knows the book. So I know he's had time, 2,000 years, to study the New Testament. So I know he knows it well, too. You know, he had a couple thousand years to study some of the Old Testament. He heard it when Moses started it way back there. So the devil's known the word from the beginning. He hears it. He knows it. He doesn't understand it. Much of it has been his eyes been blinded to it. We know that because Scripture says that. We know that many things were done in a mystery that was not revealed, and even the devil didn't understand, because 1 Corinthians 2:8 says that if the principalities and powers, which is Satan and his demons, had have known what they were doing, they would have no wise crucified the Son of Glory. So the devil and his demons is the one that killed Jesus. We know that for a fact because it's written in the Word. We think people killed Jesus. I used to have people all the time say, Who killed Jesus? And I'd say, Well, I'm responsible because of my sin. Well, that's true to a degree. All of us were sinners, and that's why I had to send Jesus. But Jesus came for many things. He came to destroy the works of the devil, which he did. And when he came, if the people... If the devil's mind had not been blinded to this wonderful truth that God was fixing to do, the devil would never have killed him. And then he would have only had one holy person to deal with. And so the devil could deal with one person better than he could deal with millions of us. Because, see, Jesus was the only righteous man that had ever appeared on the earth since Adam. He was the only one. And he was the only one that had no sin since Adam. See, and so therefore, he was the only one that he had no claim to. He couldn't do nothing to Jesus. Legally, he could do nothing to Jesus because he had no sin. Well, all the other people had sin, so he had claim to them, so he could do what he wanted to with his own. Because sin passed down to every man. But Jesus had no sin. But Satan did not understand that Jesus, with no sin, with no sin in his life, what Jesus come to the earth doing? I mean, casting out devils and healing the sick, saving the lost. I mean, he walked, he spoke to storms, and he spoke to the winds and the seas, and he spoke to demons, and everything obeyed him. Did it not? Well, was he a man? Yes, he was. He was a man just like you and me. And we're going to talk about some of those scriptures today when Jesus done some of those things. And people did not understand how he did these things. They looked at him as a man. They looked at him as a man like they were. But today, we're not men like they were. We're men on this side of the cross. We're men that Jesus died for. That He went to hell for. That He arose again from the dead on the third day. That He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the devil. He defeated the devil totally, completely. And now all power in heaven and earth has been given to Him. And He has delegated that dominion, that power and authority back to us, His children. And it's awesome when you get a hold of this, when you get a hold of, he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, if he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ, are you righteous? <laughs> you better, you better agree with the word. If you don't agree with the word, you're in trouble, you know, because you're calling God a liar. Now, from this day forth, all of you that are in here—if you ever go out of this room and you're ever somewhere and somebody's talking and said, "Well, we need a righteous person to pray this prayer of faith," you ought to be able to hold your be and say, "I'm one. Praise God. Bring him over here. I can pray that prayer. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ." Well. I mean, somebody might say, well, but I remember when you did something wrong. He said, oh, yeah, I've sinned a few times in my life, but I've repented for all of them. And when I repented, every time I repent, I've been restored to fellowship. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise God, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Don't you dare say, somebody say, what about you? What about me? You go to church? Oh, yeah, I go to church, and I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. They say, Woo. you know, I work with you, and you don't appear to be the righteousness of God in Christ. See, that's the problem with most of us. Most of us know our own sins better than anybody else, so we fail to realize that, hey, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and when I recognize I am the righteousness of God in Christ, then you're going to do the best you can every day to walk as holy as possible before God. Because if He made you the righteousness of God in Christ, You want to honor your father by doing what pleases your father. Just like I said a while ago about that little boy, if that man had adopted me, I'd now want to do everything I could to please that man because that man totally changed my life. He brought me from the slums and the pit of hell and into a beautiful home with a beautiful place to live and a beautiful place to stay, a beautiful table to eat at, and everything is mine that belongs to him. That's kind of amazing, isn't it, that God would give us everything that belongs to Him. But He did that in His Word, and He told us that. So we go around praying for healing. We go around praying for all kinds of things, not realizing it's already ours. Already ours. When we get a hold of this, that once we become children of God, we're to walk holy before God. When we break the curses and receive by faith what rightfully belongs to us as children of God, then and only then can we walk in divine health. Because God promised it. Even under the old covenant, if we would just be obedient and do what he says, he says, I will bless you and I will take all sickness and disease away from the midst of you. So if God promised under the law to take all sickness and disease away from those people, and then we got a new covenant on better promises today, should there be any sickness and disease in the church? Not any. Not any. But if we have a brother or a sister that does not meet the requirements, that does not walk in obedience to God's Word, that does not put God first... And I have learned that that is the major problem in the church today. We don't put God first. We put the world first. You know, How many people do you know in church that worships God every day, all day long? That wakes up with Him in the morning, and in the course of the day they're talking about Him. They pray over everything they do, whether it be breakfast, whether they're somewhere in a restaurant. They'd have no problem at all praying over. I think about Smith Wigglesworth. I'd read stories about Smith Wigglesworth, one of the most anointed men of God in England that lived in the last hundred years. He died in 1947 at the age of 87. But he was an awesome man of God. They said in England, Smith Wigglesworth could walk into a restaurant. And he'd just walk in, and they, he'd walk in, and as soon as he'd walk in, he said, did anybody here bless anything they've eating in the name of Jesus? And he said, everybody there would just bow their heads and stop eating. And he'd hold his hand up, walk through that place, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless everything these people are eating in Jesus' name. And I think of one time that he went to a, a home of someone that invited him to speak, and they served him pork. And he just stopped and he said, Father, if you can bless this pig that you cursed. You told me to eat anything set before me. It's all he said. If you can bless this pig that you cursed, then bless this thing to our bodies in the name of Jesus. And they ate the pig. But you know, he, he was an awesome man of faith. I mean, and of course, God did awesome miracles for him. But Smith Wigglesworth, they asked him a question. Well, have you ever prayed what is the longest prayer you've ever prayed? Have you ever prayed more than a half hour? He said, no. I never prayed more than a half hour. Never. But he said, I never go more than a half hour without pray." See? Now, that that's really says something, doesn't it? He was an anointed man of God that saw God do awesome things. But he really put God first. I can't say that. I'll get involved with people sometimes. I'll be at the ministry center even talking to people about God, reading the Word. And we may be in a ministry meeting two, three, or four, or five hours, and we never stop and pray. We may pray when we start, or we may pray when we finish. Well, we may go three or four or five hours. Although we're in the Word, talking about the Word, we don't pray. You know, I've been thinking, you know, maybe we ought to stop and pray more often. I might be able to get a lot better results from God. Because I don't, I can't do nothing on my own. But with Him, nothing's impossible. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless what we're doing here today. We want to come to you just a moment here and say, Lord, bless us, and 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 Lord, reveal to us more truth from the Word of God as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. It couldn't hurt. It don't hurt to pray. Does it? Absolutely doesn't hurt to pray. But. As I was uh, saying there a while ago, this man that we prayed the prayer of faith for with terminal cancer, and we prayed according to James 5, 14, 15, and 16, do anybody besides me see a guarantee there from God to heal you? Does anybody see a guarantee from God to heal you in James 5, 14, 15, and 16? Would you consider that a guarantee, brother? Yeah, so, <laughs> I guess I just have to ask the question, then why, like this brother back here said, why is not every church in the country doing these things? I mean, when he got a hold of this, he said, good grief, why is not every church in the world doing this? It's written in my Bible. If it's written in my Bible, then why do we go to doctors instead of to the church? I mean, to the yeah, why do we go to doctors instead of to the church? But first of all, let me ask this question, why don't we stop sinning in the church? Why don't we do what God says? Why don't we start putting Him first? Because without sin, there is no sickness and disease. Without sin, there's no sickness and disease. Every one of you will know that if you have committed some kind of sin, and, and you'll find it, all you've got to do is check it out. God will reveal to you why you have the problems you have if you'll ask Him. Just like this gentleman that I prayed that prayer according to James 5.14, he asked the Lord that question. He asked the Lord the question, Lord, why me? Why did this devastating disease come upon me? And the Lord took him to Psalm 106. I mean, he just dropped his Bible and it fell open to this chapter, Psalms 106. And so he started reading down through Psalm 106. He said, I love the Psalms. Now, the Psalms have got tremendous things in them. I'm going to tell you That in the Psalms, everything is confirmed by year. Now this is an awesome thing when you learn this. And I'm just learning this and I'm just seeing these things in the Word. That for every, it's stamped in God's Word for if you know how to tell the time. If you know how to tell the years and how to read the calendars, you can go back to the psalm of the year, and I'll guarantee you in that psalm, for as far back in history as you can find out, there is written in that psalm for that year what has happened in the world in that year, in the psalms. It's there. It's there. I mean, you can date stamp history. Isn't it amazing that God could write this book thousands of years ago, and now we can take and go back. Now, you can't predict history with it because you don't know there's so many things written in them. You can't go to Psalms in the future because there's too many things written in one particular Psalm. What could be? But once the history has come to pass, you can go backwards in the Psalms according to those numbers, and you can look in a given Psalm and it will tell you exactly the major events that happened in the world in those Psalms. It's amazing what's in the book. And it can be confirmed over and over and over. And one of these days in the future, I'm going to do some teaching on this on my radio and television shows about this when I get everything together documented. But it's so amazing. But just like... This one right here in Psalm 106. Here was a man's answer. This psalm was written thousands of years ago, but it was the answer to a man that, that's living today that 20 years ago was on his deathbed. And he asked God, why am I sick? Well, he took him to Psalm 106. And here was his answer. As he read down through the Psalms, and I'll just start at verse 10. To shorten this down, you can read the first part. It's talking about Israel and how they came out of the land of Egypt and all the things God did for them. And then in verse 10, he says, And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, that there was not one of them left. Isn't that amazing? How God takes care of your enemies. And he says, Then believed they his words. After they saw these mighty miracles and they saw all their enemies destroyed, they saw these giant flumes or whatever you want to call them open up in the Red Sea. I can't even imagine that. That's, I mean, even as an engineer, that's difficult for me to imagine that, God could just blow His breath and hold the walls of water up and the drown dry out in the Red Sea. And here this thing is, and these people, millions of them, can walk through on dry ground. Isn't that amazing what God can do? But nothing's impossible with the Lord. But He opened that up and they walked through there. said after they saw all that, and then their enemies, when they got through their enemies tried to go through there, and He just turned the waters loose and killed them all. Drowned them all. In fact, I was reading an archaeological uh, book here a while back, and they said some of the archaeologists have went over there in that area. they went out into those waters, and they have found many of those chariots and chariot wheels still intact. The coral had grown over them and sealed them, and when they took them out and broke the coral off, the wood and everything, after all those thousands of years, are still intact. Can you imagine what God can do? Nothing is impossible with him, but it's amazing what men have found and it says and and the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Then believed they his works, they sing his praise. Now, you know I mean, you go and again, we get into churches today. And it doesn't make it what denomination it is. When you begin to see God move in a church, when people start acting in faith, the people will learn how to praise Him. I mean, I can go back and say, even when I was in the Baptist church, some of the miracles that I got to see God do, especially 11 years ago, when I prayed the prayer of faith over little Philip, and saw the Lord take all of his warts and scars off everybody in the Baptist church, knew 11-year-old Philip. They knew he had all these warts all over his face and hands and arms and, and, and all them scars on his hands and everything else. And they saw them one day, and then I noticed a few weeks later that Philip had no warts and no scars. Well, let me tell you, especially his mother. His mother was absolutely hysterical. You talk about a woman that praised God, she prays God. But she wouldn't have enough faith. I told her one day, I said, you need to go up and ask the pastor if you can give the testimony before the church and tell them what God done for Philip. Uh, Oh, I couldn't do that. I said, what? You can't do that? God says in His Word, when I do these miracles for you, tell it. Well, she couldn't do it. And so finally, one night, I said, well, God will make a way for you to tell this. I don't know when it's going to be, but He's going to make a way. So one night, for some strange reason, Sunday night service, the pastor said, you know, tonight we're just going to have a time of testimonies. Anybody like to have a testimony, tell something that God has done for you? I thought, this is it. I looked over, and she was over yonder sitting on the other side, and she looked at me, and then all of a sudden somebody stood up over here and gave a testimony, and somebody stood up over here and gave a testimony, and there was six or eight people stood up and gave testimonies. And little little things. There wasn't nothing really, you know, nobody clapped for them or nothing like that. Just little testimonies of what, you know, God might have done in their life. And then the pastor said, is there anybody else? And nobody else. I turned and looked over at her and she said, I said, yeah. (laughs) And so she stood up and said, I'm going to tell you what the Lord did for Philip. And she told about Philip's miracle, about how they had asked me to come over to their house and how I would prayed the prayer of faith for him. And in four weeks' time, after I prayed the prayer of faith, Philip, the warts he'd had for 11 years, including the scars that had come up when they burned some of them off his hands, the Lord took the warts and scars off of Philip's hands and his whole body. And I'm telling you, when she told that testimony, everybody broke out in worship and praise. They started clapping and everything. They knew that God had showed up. Isn't that amazing? You can even get a bunch of Baptists excited when Jesus shows up. You know? I mean I've I've been one. Praise God. I love to see God show up in any kind of church, don't you? It makes no difference what it is. Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, you know, Catholic, it makes no difference. When Jesus shows up, they get excited. So but anyway, the Lord says here Uh, Then they believed his words, and but it says in verse thirteen, they soon forgot his works, and they waited not for his counsel. Now that's us. We can forget. We can see a miracle, and then we can soon forget who he is. The devil just draws us right back into his world. And he said, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and they tempted God in the desert. Wow, that sounds just like us today. We lust for all kinds of things that we don't need. I mean, it's amazing what we do. And then it says, and he gave them their request. Now just They're lusting for things, and he gives them their request. But look what he sends with it. He gave them their request. And the King James says, he sent leanness unto their souls. Now, if you've got another translation, the American and the NIV, and I don't know, maybe one or two others, says, and he sent a wasting disease to destroy them. Does anybody have a translation that reads like that? You do? Yours, what, what translation do you have? You have the NIV. Okay, the NIV says clearly, he sent a wasting disease to destroy them. Well, the night the young man was reading, he was reading that translation. And he knew the minute that he read that, God was talking about him. Because here this guy is, a Christian, going to church every Sunday, every service on Sunday, and then sometimes on Wednesday, he's there also. But that's all the time he's giving God. He is not giving God 100% of his time, he's not seeking Him. He's not praying. He's not seeking Him every day. He's not thanking Him every day. He is just not putting God first in everything He does. Isn't that amazing? Who would think that by not doing that, that God would send a wasting disease upon you to destroy you? Have you ever thought about God like that? We don't think he would do things like that, do we? No, but he will. He said so in his word, didn't he? Yes, he did that with Job, but Job's under a completely different plan than you and I were. But he did, he did allow the devil to do what he did to Job. And he does, uh, he does allow the devil when the devil, of course, we got scripture to confirm this too, that. The devil comes by even when you and I are walking in obedience to God's word, and the devil says, hmm, I want permission God to sift him like wheat. And the Lord looks at the situation, and he thinks, well, he's a righteous man, he's doing what I tell him, but he's really not producing a whole lot of fruit, maybe. He's doing a little bit of what I want him to do, but I need to raise him to a new level. I need to do something that God's thinking. Now, I need to do something that will drive my son back to the Word. Really, really drive him back to the Word. Okay, Satan, he said, you can put him to the test, but you can just go this far. This is all you can do. So things begin to go wrong in your life. And I think about this man that I know. That he was walking in obedience to God's Word. He was walking holy before God. And he had a business. In fact, he had several businesses. And he was making a lot of money every day. This guy had uh, nice cars and boats and and uh, everything. Uh, I mean, you know, he just had everything his heart desired. And he had a lovely wife that was, he was married to and had a lovely, some children and everything. And everything's going great in his life. I mean, they had Everything. And he was a Christian. He was a believer in Jesus. But he wasn't really doing a whole lot for the Lord. He was going to a few meetings and everything. One day he was at a church, and a prophet was there at that church. And the prophet walked up to him, and, of course, he didn't really know the guy that well, but he had heard of this guy. And this prophet walked up to him and said, The Lord told me to tell you he's going to put you to the test in your financial world. Be ready. So he said, I kind of took that with a grain of salt. He said, "I'm making sometimes one to five thousand dollars a day." He said, "I've got some really nice businesses." He said, "I'm doing really good." So I thought, "Hmm." Now, if you're making a thousand to five thousand dollars a day, the average person don't make a thousand to five thousand dollars a day, but that's what he was doing. So he was very, very blessed by God. But the Lord was going to allow him to be tested in his finances. So all of a sudden, after about six months or a year or whatever it was, one of his businesses up north, he thought, there's something not clicking in that deal up there. I better take my CPA and go up there and see what's going on. So he went up there and checked it, and this general manager in charge of this plant up there had embezzled tens of thousands of dollars from him, and he was absolutely he was going to have to shut this place down. He didn't have the money to recover it. He was so far in debt that this general manager had done so many things, he wound up having to sell that particular business. And within the next month, or a few months, all of his businesses went under. Every one of them. He lost all of them. And now then, he's working for a place as a salesman for $175 a week. It's quite a change, wouldn't you say? He said, Now I would have really been mad at God if this prophet hadn't have told me this was going to happen. So this prophet told me, Don't get out of a love walk with God, or you may have to walk around that mountain forty years. So he said, I continued to worship and praise God. He said, I said, Lord, thank you that I've got this job pays $175 a week. Now he went from a thousand to five thousand a day to one hundred and seventy five a week. Pretty good change, wouldn't you say? Pretty good change. But Would you think it would be hard to praise God in that? Yes. I think about Paul after he's out preaching the gospel, and him and Barnabas is sitting there after they've been beaten with a cat of nine tails, and blood's running down their backs, and stocks and bonds at midnight. They ain't grumbling and complaining. They're praising God. But they praise God till midnight, and the Lord shows up and opens the doors of the prison, and their socks fall off. But they suffered all that night. So, you know, when you have to suffer a little for Jesus, don't get mad at God. The wars between God and the devil. But this man didn't get mad at God. He stayed in there and he worshipped and praised the king. Lord, thank you that I got this job. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. I praise you in Jesus' name. Well, his wife wasn't quite the happy critter. She said, you can't provide for my needs anymore. He said, honey, this is a test from the Lord. Just be patient. She said, no, I ain't staying with you. If you can't produce like you have before. She said, I'm going to find me another husband. And she left him. She divorced him. She really loved him, didn't she? Oh, yeah. She loved him when he had lots of money. When he came down when he didn't have it. That's when, you find, that's when you separate the women from the girls. That's when you find out who's really a woman or a lady. And that's when you find out who's just a normal girl of the world. Because when they'll stay with you in the good and they'll stay with you in the bed, then that's when they really love you. So she didn't love him, so she left. His wife left. Well, he continued to worship and praise the Lord. This went on for a year or so. And then one day, uh, this guy had made an investment somewhere, and a, a broker called him and said, this uh, little investment that you made has really increased in value. He said, would you like to sell it? And he said it increased in value from just a few thousand to many thousand. I told him, Yes, I need the money. So he, that was the first indication that he was fixing to come back up. And so he really worshiped and praised the Lord for this. Now he said, Lord, help me to reinvest this in businesses again and be prosperous again. Well, today, that guy is a multimillionaire. And he's also a preacher. And he's still running these businesses. But he said, if that prophet hadn't have told me that I was going to be put to the test in my finances, he said, when my finances started falling apart, I did not realize that Satan had requested to sift me like wheat. He said, I'd have lost it. I'd have been mad at God. When you get mad at God and start fussing at him, how long can he leave you in that state? Forever. You can die. That guy could have died at 150 or $175 a week, couldn't he? Hey, you don't want to get mad at God. Let me tell you what. It's never time to be mad at God. It's only time to be mad at yourself and the devil, but never at God. You know. So when you repent of your sins, then you need to get glad with yourself and start loving yourself again. Because if you don't love yourself, that's a sin. And lots of people I know today don't love themselves. And that will bring sickness and disease upon you you know but the first commandment was love the lord thy god with all your heart then he says love your neighbor as yourself how many people do you know let me ask you this question here how many of you all in here love yourself if you don't hold up your hand you're not believing god you know if you do you love yourself really love yourself hold that hand high because you want god to see it he's taking record today the angels he we want to know that we love ourselves Because it's a commandment from God for you to love yourself. I don't care if nobody else loves you. You need to love you. Because God loves you. He sent His only Son to die on the cross for you when you were a wicked sinner. He loved you that much. So He commands you to love yourself. Now, if you don't love yourself, you're sinning. And it will cause sickness and disease. But this young man that had this terminal disease... That cancer, stage four, had got it because he had not put God first. God had sent a wasting disease to a young man that I would have thought was one of the best Christians in the church I was going to. I mean, if you come to church every time the doors open and I'm there and I see you every Sunday, I consider you a pretty good Christian. It takes a pretty good Christian to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's pretty good. In fact, my pastor over at Lakeland, when I used to be at Lakeland, uh, I told Brother Ben one day, I said, he said, Thurman, why does God use you for all these miracles? Well, I said, Brother Ben, I don't know. I'm just a normal Christian. He said, no, Thurman, you, as long as I've known you, you ain't never been normal. I said, what do you mean? Sure I am. He said, no, 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 Thurman. Normal Christians come to church on Sunday morning. A little extra Christian comes back on Sunday night. But the supernatural ones come back on Wednesday night, the prayer meeting, and those exceptional ones come back on Tuesday night for visitation. And he said, you do all of those plus more. So he said, no, you're not normal. And I said, well, I just thought I'm normal. He said, yeah, what you do is supposed to be normal, but that's not normal in the church. He said, normal Christians, they think they've done God a favor if they come on Sunday morning. He said, you notice, always on Sunday morning we have the biggest crowd. Sunday night we have about half or a third as many we have on Sunday morning. He said, Wednesday night, out of, well, at that time we had about 800 or 1,000 people, I guess. He said, on Sunday morning we have 800 people here. On Sunday night we can have... 200 people here. And on Wednesday night, we could all meet in a chapel. You know, we're at only, you know, 50 or 100. You know, he said that that's the way people do business as Christians. He said, if all of them did what you did all the time, the place would be packed all the time. Well, I think we're supposed to do it God's way. We're supposed to put him first. But obviously, we do not. And now, he knows, and he's keeping perfect records and he knows whether you're obeying him or you're not obeying him. And you can't hide from God. So this young man, which had been in church every time the door was open, came down with terminal cancer. And I certainly would never have believed it was because of his sin of not putting God first. But that's, I think, is one of the sins that is killing more Christians than anything I know of because we're putting other gods before Jesus. We put work before Him. You know, we put clothes before Him. We put cars before Him. We put houses before Him. And if you don't believe all that, you can go back and see how many people obey the commandment to tithe. God says, if you don't tithe, you're stealing or you're robbing from me. And how many Christians don't tithe? In all the churches I've been a member of, when I was on the counting committee and I served as an usher and all the different jobs I had way many years ago, the average church that I was a member of, anywhere from 15 to maybe 30%, 30 I think would be a high number, 15 to 30% of the people I considered tithers. Well, how do you know that? Well, when people drive, them and their wife both drive a new $20,000 car to church, both of them, and they live in a $150,000 house, and they go out to eat quite a bit and do all the things they do. When they come to church and they give $25, I find it hard to believe they do all that on $250 a week. I just thought, I don't think they're tithers. Now, if they can... If they can live like that on $250 a week, I need to know how they do that because I can't do that. You know, I can't drive two cars and pay insurance on them for that kind of money. Can you? No, no, not just the cars. So to live in that one hundred fifty, dollars 200000 house, for sure. So there's something wrong. So they got to be making more money and they're not tithing. So if they're not tithing, you know, then they're living under a curse. Because God curses them, and he said that, and of course, you know he goes a step further, he says, he calls us thieves that don't tithe. Of course, over the book of Revelation, he says, no thieves shall inherit the kingdom of God. So that's scary. You know, that ought to make people want to tithe. You know, because if that would keep you out of heaven, I don't know whether it will or not, but if I understand the word, I'd hate to get there one day, and God say, well, because you didn't tithe, you can't come into heaven. Because you thought more about money you did me, you ain't going to heaven. That would be a scary thing, wouldn't it? I'd hate to think for a few lousy dollars I'd give away my eternal salvation. So I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I just read the word, but I ain't going to put him to the test. I'm going, I know I started tithing years ago, and I know God has blessed me supernaturally all those years since I started tithing. So I would not recommend to anybody that you not tithe. I would definitely recommend that you tithe. So anyway, we anointed Ed Brock with oil after he, he called us. I tried to convince him that the word was true. Of course, he was raised in a Baptist church just like me and would not have been taught those scriptures. So he wouldn't believe it. So I kept going back over and over and over. And finally, he did read those verses enough time till enough faith came. And then Ed did call us and ask us to pray the prayer of faith over him. And that's when we were going to Lakeland Baptist Church 20 years ago. And, of course, I called a few men that night, and they called men. And an hour's time, 28 men showed up to pray for Ed Brock. And uh, we prayed over him, anointed him with oil. First time I'd ever done that in my life. We just used olive oil, poured it all over him. You know, didn't know how to do it. So, you know, just I didn't know how to suck his shirt on, poured it right down the back of his head, didn't let it run down his back, rubbed it all over him. You know, I didn't know, no, I didn't know nothing else to do. You know, I mean, I'm a beginner. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. But uh, I knew what God's Word says. And so, in faith, we were doing the best we could. And we prayed over Ed Brock. And I've said many times when Ed walked out that night, he walked out just as weak as he walked in. Somebody said, well, why didn't God do a miracle healing and let him be instantly healed? I said, because if he had of, he'd have had 28 heart attacks to deal with. You know, there there we were. We didn't know who we were. We didn't know nothing. We really didn't know hardly anything. We was the first time we'd ever done that in church, so we were beginners. We were babes in Christ when it comes to healing, although we were all deacons and elders of the church. We still didn't know nothing. But anyway, after praying over him, Ed began to get well, and that's when he asked God, why did this terrible disease come upon me? And that's when the Lord opened the Bible to Psalm 106 and showed him why it happened. And he knew the minute he read that, what the problem was. That he had truly not put God first in all of his life. So he repented and asked the Lord to forgive him for not putting him first. And from that day forth, he started putting him first, much more so than he ever had before. And, of course, God healed him. The man did get well. Now, can you imagine James 5, 14, 15, and 16, which had been in the Word of God forever? And it healed a man of stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. If it healed one man of cancer, do you think it could heal another man of cancer? Yeah. So, I mean, but it's got to be a prayer of faith that man's got to know it. He's got to have faith. He's got to call for the, the elders of the church. Could be the pastor. It could be any of the elders. You don't want to call a group of elders that are men that are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. These have got to be men of faith. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. If you call men to pray over you, you want to ask all the men, even if they're elders in a church, are they serving in any other organizations beside the church? And if they're serving in any other organizations, any other organizations, you want to be very careful what organizations these are, and because a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of the organizations, men in the church, even deacons that serve, they serve another God in those organizations. And one of those organizations is the Masonic Lodge. So I'll just be frank with you. The Masonic Lodge is of the devil. It's not of God. I mean, it, I mean, I guarantee I've caught a lot of flack in church over this. But I do know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm talking about. I'd never make a statement like this if I didn't know what I was talking about. I made a statement on television out on GLC, and I had a man call him one night, and he said, You do not know what you're talking about. Well, let me tell you, I have searched this organization in detail. I have read their books. I've gone down to the street in Dallas down here, checked out books and I've read about the Masonic lodge and I probably know more about the Masonic lodge than the average mason does but I guarantee you, with what I've learned you don't have you don't want ever to have a elder of a church that's a mason pray for you because his prayer will not be answered because he's serving another god and it's just amazing that the oaths that they take the oaths that they take Now, if you don't know that, if you're here today and you're a Mason, you know, I won't ask you to hold up your hand, but I won't tell you for sure that if you are one of those, you need to really check out these oaths that you've taken, the words that they've whispered in your ear that's supposed to be the secret name of God. And I've never been in a church, I don't care what kind it was, that there wasn't men, and sometimes even the pastors of churches are Masons. I've seen this, and I've sat down with them and tried my best to explain these things to them. Now, I have on my website a several-page document about the Masonic Lodge, research I'd done 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, and I put on there the statements that come out of their book. I put book and page and everything. I found these statements in their books. And then I put what the Word of God says about that. And if you can read that six or eight page document, whatever it is, and you can't get the idea of what I'm talking about, you got a problem. You've got a real problem. But I, I mean, when you read a statement in the handbook of the Masonic Lodge, and it says, oh, that name, the secret name of God is so great, but the name of Jesus... O'Hara, that name is to never be spoken in the Masonic Lodge. Hey, isn't that amazing? The name of Jesus is to never be spoken in the Masonic Lodge. Now, I've read that to people, and i have like these guys right down here in the Justin at the Masonic Lodge. I've tried to tell them. They said, well, Thurman, we can pray in the name of Jesus. I said, well, the only reason you do is because all of you belong to one of these churches around here. And I said, that's the reason you do it, because you don't know what your handbook says. I said, you go down to Dallas to the big meeting, and you pray in the name of Jesus. One of them did. Went down to the big meeting, and he prayed in the name of Jesus. When it was over, the Grand Master come to him and said, don't you know the rules? You will never use that name in a Masonic Lodge again, ever. That ought to confirm to him that what I was telling him was the truth. Because it's written in their books. Now then, the same problem with the Masons is the same problem with the church. We don't read our manuals. Now, we don't. church people don't know the Word of God. They don't read it. Well, Masons don't read books either. They only do what they give them to learn, and they never read the books. Well, let me tell you, I read both books. Not only both books, not only the Word of God have I read many, many times, But the Masonic Lodge books, I spent six months every Saturday of my life for six months reading and researching their books. And as I read and researched their books, I took out many excerpts and I put them down. And it's amazing what men do. So anyway, you don't want to have a Mason pray for you that says he's a Christian. You just don't want to have him pray for you because I don't believe their prayers will be answered. So I had one one time that I was talking to that was a Mason and there was about three other men in the meeting that were Masons and about eight or ten that was not Masons and I was confronting them. Church, all of them are church people. All of them are deacons and I was confronting them with these things of the Masonic Lodge and one of the As I presented these things, one of the men that was a mason, he jumped up and came over to me. He said, I need to pray for you right now. I told him, I said, sir, no offense to you, but I don't want your prayers. I said, I would not let you pray for me knowingly under no conditions. I said, in fact, I don't even want you to put a hand on me or touch me because I don't want to be a partaker of your sin. So, in fact, I told him then, I said, you know, if you guys... That are masons here, don't leave the Masonic Lodge. I will leave the deacon council on this church. And all of them agreed not to leave the Masonic Lodge. So I turned in my resignation as a member of that board of deacons at that church. And I've never been a deacon since. I resigned. I refused to serve with a board of men where nearly half of them are serving Another God. Hey, I hate to be the kind of guy that's just, hey, no, I don't hate to be, I love to be the kind of guy that's going to make one God my goal. One God. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No other gods am I going to serve. I'm going to do the best I know how to serve the Lord Jesus and present His Word just exactly as He presented it to me. So, when you do that, do you know that you get to see Jesus do some wonderful things? Yeah. I mean, He does wonderful things. Now then, right now, uh, in these few minutes before we go to break at 3 o'clock, we got 20 minutes. But I'm going to take a couple of testimonies or three or whatever. I know uh, Jan is here. I'm going to have Jan give her a testimony and then anybody else that wants to give a testimony. So if... uh, uh your son? My son your son what's his name rick. rick rick father in the name of jesus we come to the throne of grace for rick freeman father in jesus name we 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 forgive that boy's sins john 20:23 20, says if we forgive people's sins they're forgiven so father in jesus name we forgive that boy's sins we don't even know what they are but we forgive them. and we ask you to forgive him and, Lord, now we come against the forces of darkness that have attacked that young man in his stomach that he's sick and throwing up. We command that devil to leave him. And we ask you, Father, to be merciful to that young man and touch him right now and heal him and make him ever with whole in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, you told us to come in Hebrews 4:16 to the throne of grace in times of need for mercy. So, Lord, we have this time of need for mercy. And in John fourteen thirteen, you said under the new covenant, anything we ask the Father in the name of Jesus, you will do for us. So Lord, we want to thank you for completely healing and restoring and delivering that young man in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the King. Okay. Now then, let's take a testimony. Come on, Jen, and come up here and we'll let Jen tell you what Jesus done for her a while back already. Right.
1: I had, uh, I was um, over course of several years, I was just getting sicker and sicker, and I got to the point where I thought I was going to have to quit my job because I, I, you know, there were days I couldn't even go into work, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I knew there was something wrong, and so I, you know, went to the doctor, and uh, had them run a a bunch, uh, she ran a bunch of tests and everything, and you know, more and more and more extensive tests, and um, then I heard about. Thurman's ministry and um, several people from our church had come and, and uh, so forth and so on, on a Tuesday I went to the doctor and got all the results back from the, all those tests and the results were that I had um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome I had uh, two types of viral pneumonia
2: That's
1: okay. uh, two types of viral pneumonia that uh, lay dormant in my body and when I was, would get really tired then they would uh, just you know come up and then the third thing was, um, she ran a battery of tests and, uh, I had one of three different diseases which were either lupus, uh, scleroderma, or, uh, polymystosis. And of the three, lupus was the best. And so...
0: <laughs> so tell them what you did. <laughs> so, uh,
1: so on the way over here, uh, you know, it still wasn't snapping to me what was going on, but I, on the way over here I was telling my friend Judy, you know, what all I had, and uh, I said, I hope I have lupus because that's the best of the three. You know, I did this, the research on it, and I said, I hope I have lupus. What's happening it's, to that mic? I don't know.
0: Kind of going off and on. I yeah. don't understand what's happening to it. Yeah.
1: It's off.
0: Okay. No, it's on, but I don't understand why yeah, it's not Yeah, the
1: red light's on.
0: Yeah, okay. No, it up like this? I don't understand. Okay, I don't understand. Like that. For some strange reason. Okay. Testing. Hello? Test? I don't know why we're not getting any audio through. Her microphone. Well, it no, says,
1: it, the little light's red. Yeah,
0: it's, it yeah, says. It. Check,
1: check, check,
3: check. I
0: don't know, but it's not working. Check, check. No, it's not. No, it's, oh. it's a
4: Probably,
1: yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? No. No, cool. <laughs> no he doesn't. That's right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I'm, I'm telling my friend all the way over here, you know, uh, what all these diseases were and, uh, you know, what the doctor said and everything that she's going to send me to a rheumologist to, to have more further testing. I said, I, I hope I have Lupus, because that's the, the best of the three. And uh, so then I, I came and heard, you know, Thurman's teaching, and, I, and, and the Lord just immediately struck me with, you know, some sin that had gone on in my life. And so, uh, you know, then after after the healing service was over, then, you know, we, he asked us to come and be prayed for, and, and so I did. And he was just sitting there quietly in his chair and just put his hand on me and just prayed for me. And, you know, I didn't sense or feel anything, but as I walked back to my chair, the very first symptom that had ever happened to me, uh, was that, that I went numb from my, from my, uh, elbows down to my fingers. And as I went to pick up my purse, I'm like, Judy, I can feel in my arms again. So that gave me hope to believe that God was really going to heal me. <laughs> and, and so, and so that started the whole process. And then, uh, that whole first week was really, you know, uh, I, I just spent the whole week just really, you know, praying and praying. And it was like moment by moment, breath by breath, and I was just, I was just not going to let the enemy, you know, uh, rob me of what I believed was my my healing. And so every moment, you know, I got better. And then by the end of the first week, I was better. By the end of the second week, I was better. And now I'm just, you know, he's just healed all of that. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but I, I have one more thing to, to to say that I hadn't said before, and that is, you know, that I said that I had the two two types of viral pneumonia that lay dormant. Well. Um, twice the enemy hit me with, with like a cold or like you know, a respiratory infection. And, and I, I went to the doctor and, and got some medicine for that. And then I thought, you know, after that I'm, I'm like, no, you know, this isn't, this isn't what I've learned. You know, I'm going to walk in faith and believe that the Lord is going to heal me. And then the Lord showed me that uh, uh, through, one, uh, through part of his teaching about curses, that, uh, that there had been a, a generational curse, you know, like, like there's uh, – Grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles have all died from pneumonia, and that's a generational curse. And so I started praying against those curses, and the Lord's healed me from the pneumonia, too. Praise
0: Wow. You notice that she said she hoped she had lupus. As a daughter of the king, she had no idea who she was. See, She really had no idea that Jesus had already done these things for her. And so she also had no idea that sin, which I don't know what it was, and I never asked her, but she said, when I asked her what kind of sin she had committed 15 years ago, when this numbness from her elbows down to her hands came into her body, immediately the Lord showed her what the sin was, and so she repented to the Lord and asked him to forgive her for all these sins, and that's when, after she repented, when I just reached up and touched her and stood on the scripture and she said, when I got through praying, I said, now in the name of Jesus, I rebuked the enemy. You've repented. According to Mark 16, 17, and 18, I rebuked the enemy, command him to leave, and be healed as I touched her with both hands. I said, now that's it. And she said, that's all there is to it? She said, I didn't feel a thing. I said, we don't go by feeling. We go by it is written. And she said, you mean I don't fall down or nothing? I said, no, ma'am. I try not to let anybody fall down in my <laughs> service. <laughs> So she gets up walks back to the seat thinking, hmm, I didn't feel nothing. I guess I didn't get nothing, really. She's not I'm sure that she's not knowing one way or the other. But by the time she gets back to her seat and picks up her purse, she feels it for the first time in 15 years. Hallelujah. So that makes a great difference. Now, she has seen from here to there, she's seen God already restore the feeling in her hands. Now, how quick can God do things? Yeah. Instantly. Instantly. But you notice it took him a few weeks to get the rest of them done. Because as she's now standing by faith, he promises in his word, in those scriptures of Mark chapter 16, verse 18, he says, after we lay hands on the sick, he said, in fact, this is for the church. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, that's supposed to be the church. He says, we shall cast out demons in his name. That's the church. The church don't even believe there is demons anymore. You don't hardly ever hear demons talked about in church. But that's what this sickness and disease that was on her, that's what was blocking the flow in her arms. All of these things were demons. We don't understand them. But when I rebuked the enemy, commanded him to leave, he left. And the Lord started a healing process, and the rest of that verse said, And then you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. He didn't say he would instantly heal you. He said you'll recover. So, by doing that in faith, as she continued to stand in faith praising the Lord. Now, she stopped this nonsense, Lord. I hope i got lupus. No, no, no. Lord, I know I ain't got lupus. I ain't having nothing. I realize you bore my sickness, removed my disease on the cross. So, Lord, if you did, I don't have nothing. That's a devil trying to put this on me, and I ain't going there no more in Jesus' name. And so by doing all that and then learning about the curses and say, hey, Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 15, Christ has redeemed me from the curse. So if Jesus redeemed me from the curse, that means I'm not under that either. Amen. So by faith, I claim that I ain't going to die with pneumonia. No. It's, it's over in Jesus' name. And so, you know, you won't ever have pneumonia again either. Oh, no. Isn't God awesome?
1: Can I say one more thing? And uh, another thing that he said that day, too, was he, he was talking about uh, that God created us to, d- to walk in divine health. And I never heard that before either. I, you know, I knew that Jesus would heal. But I never thought about walking in divine health, that he created us not to be sick. And so, you know, when I started standing on that, like I had, you know, some little uh, uh, inflammations, you know, like, you know, the lupus and the, and the chronic fatigue and the pneumonia were big things. But then I thought, well, he doesn't want us to have any even those little things, you know. And I had, like, bursitis in my hips, and I never even thought about that. And then I thought, well, you know, he wants us to walk in divine health. He doesn't want us to have that either. So I don't have the bursitis in my hips, and I don't have uh, 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 anything going on. I had some things going on with my ankles, too, and I don't have that either. Because wow. he wants us to walk in divine health. He wants us to
0: be healed and whole. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord. We got that working again, Dave? We think so? Test one, two.
2: It's not real loud. I have to go turn it up. a
0: little louder. Okay. Very okay. Louder okay. I don't know. Test, testing one, two, three. It's not, not working. Testing one, two, three.
4: I don't know what's happening, but anyway...
0: Uh, I want to be able to hear it. So, Praise the Lord. Okay, who else has got a testimony you want to give? Somebody else got one? Come up here, young lady. Come on, this lady. we got one. We'll just take whoever. We'll take whatever it takes. This young lady's got a great one, too. Praise the Lord. I have
2: to praise the Lord for all he's done for me. Uh, he, he's done many things for me, but this miraculous one He done for me in January. I have been on oxygen for over a year at night, and i I was getting worse. I couldn't even hardly breathe when I was coming up here for this teaching for January. And I was even in a wheelchair when I came up here. And uh, I got prayed for. I went through the teachings and the scriptures. And uh everything was just fantastic that uh, school, the healing school was. And it just brought things to me where I, what I needed to do is confess my sins. And then be prayed for and the Lord healed me that night because I don't have to have oxygen anymore. I'm just praising the Lord. I can breathe like a breath of fresh air and I'm just he's just totally awesome. He's he's even healed my hand lately too. So it's been hurting, so I'm thanking God, praising him. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord. Change your life forever. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yep, there was a lady that was on oxygen a wheelchair and everything else, and she just believed God. In fact, I remember her telling me, she said, I just decided when I got home that night, hey, I don't have to have this oxygen anymore. If Jesus has already done this for me, then I'm just going to lay this oxygen down, and I don't need it no more. And she has never needed it since that minute. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing what God does when you really believe Him, and you trust Him, and you act on His word, that's what she did. Acted on His word. Who else? is Anybody else? Somebody else got a testimony? Read, uh, you know, wait, wait, just a minute, because we won't be able to hear it on the tape. Yeah, come up here if you want something you want to read. Well, you'll have to read it on my mic, or we won't be able to hear it on tape. Okay. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, okay. Anyway, on I was reading Psalms 106, and it was saying, "Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord, and who could show forth all His praises?" And ACTS, the acronym for ACTS is Active Christians Terrorizing Satan. Amen. <laughs> praise
0: the Lord. That, that's great. Okay, praise the Lord. Anybody else uh, got anything you want to say? Yes, brother.
4: Well, I already shared with my testimony here before where I came up here the first time I was here and uh, at the end of your healing service. And I came up here and I had you pray for me. And then I went back, and I sat down, and you reiterated some things that you had said about uh, if they have any sin in your life yet. So my pastor is J.C. Hogan there from the upper room, and so I sat over there in my seat, and I confessed my sin to him. And he said I should come back up here and get prayed for again. And I gave God credit for healing me that day of my epilepsy that I'd suffered with most of my life. I was having seizures two or three times a week. And I haven't had one since that day that I left here. That's been six or seven months ago, but I also didn't give God credit for what else he had taken. Uh, I'd been on antidepressants and mood swing pills most of my life. And and, uh, when I went home that day, uh, I also left here with four rescue inhalers. But when I got back to the church that day, I instinctively reached in my pocket to get my medicine to take. And I rode my motorcycle that day, I met you, and, uh, but all my medicine had fallen out of my pockets on the way back to the church, so I didn't have any medicine at all, so I've been uh, healed from uh, four rescuing headers, epilepsy, and all, all mood swings, they're all gone, uh, and credit to God. Uh, last night at practice at church, we have a, a band at our church that we practice with, and uh, Right after that, I started getting sick, and I think because I, I got bold and I shared something with the pastor that God gave me, and so the Satan attacked me for it. And I'm thinking, I know the scripture in here that you read, uh, and that's the problem with a lot of people, I think, is they take the scriptures out of context and, and don't read before and after what comes with it. But I wanted to say real quick this morning that I said, Pastor, I said, I always get sick, you know, and and I wait till I get to my pastor to ask him to pray for me, uh, because I didn't. I tried praying for myself, and it was like Satan was saying, "Man, you're being so selfish. You're praying for yourself with all the other people's needs that they have." And pastor said when I got here today, he said, uh, "Read James five uh, 13, and and you read fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, but thirteen says that I didn't really have to wait for my pastor. It says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Amen. So, Amen. credit to God. Thank God. Amen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 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 You can pray for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Glory to God.
4: Randy's,
3: to one one my, Randy's one of my new friends. Suzanne's one of my old friends. You're my new friend, too. But I want to talk about how the goodness of God. He is so awesome. And I, when he tried to take, when the devil tried to take me out with a heart attack, I decided then and there I was going to live and not die and declare the glory of God. So, um, my, our friend Wanda gave me the tapes, one of your tapes, and I, I set it on the coffee table, did not listen to it for a while, and then I finally did. And I thought, man, that's a hard teaching. I, yeah, he's what I wanted to say. <laughs> that's a hard teaching. And I believe in healing. I teach it on, on television, but, uh, I just, the Lord told me to keep after listening to those tapes, so I did, and um, I've been, I've been listening to a lot of them, every one of them. I, I get more information, more confirmation. But last night, I actually went to see Brother Thurman yesterday and uh, talked about some personal issues. But um, I thought, well, I just want, well, I won't listen to a tape tonight. I'm just gonna, I'll turn the TV on. There's got to be something that's okay to watch. Wrong. The movie I started watching was just just not a thing to be watching. So I thought, click, popped a tape in. I was listening to Love the Excellent Way. And I, I, I watched it, and it was really good. It's an old one from the year 2000. And I'm watching, and it. it's good. But I'm getting tired. I thought, you know, I'll just turn it off. I'm going to go to this meeting tomorrow, and I just saw him today. I, I, would, try to t- I would try to turn it off, and I'm sitting on the edge of my couch. You know, I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to turn this off. And God said, keep watching, keep watching. So I'm keeping watching, and then I'm just about to turn it off. Then you get to the part where you are talking about all these family curses that we talked about a little bit yesterday. And he's telling me on this tape, Brother Thurman telling me, on the, or Jesus, you know, God through Thurman telling me, to forgive these old these people that's in your family that, you, that have caused these curses. You pray for their forgiveness. You forgive them, and it will help work out the issue about those old curses. I thought, well, that's good. But, well, now I can turn it off. God said, keep, "Keep listening, keep watching." So I did, and I finally gets to a part where I've never heard anybody else has ever done this. But it's not daily, but almost daily. I kiss this Bible, I hug it, and you talked about that in that script, in that tape, about that that this is Jesus to us. It's His Word, and I do I. I hug it up to me. I kiss it because to me, it's like me. I'm kissing Jesus. I'm loving him, and I, I had never heard anybody else say that. But I got to the point that the Lord wanted me to hear heal on that tape, and it's so fabulous. Cause it means so much to me. I mean, I've had times when I have actually had this—not this particular one, but another Bible. Actually, in my bed when I needed consoling and needed to feel like God was close. I had that word with me, but it thrilled my soul when I heard you on that tape. Talk about, you know, kissing your Bible, hugging your Bible, because I do it. And I've never heard, I've heard a lot of ministers, and I've never heard anybody else say that, but that's what... The Lord wanted me to keep listening to that tape. Finally, at 1130, I thought it was the end of the tape, and I stopped watching. But I've got to go back and make sure that was the end of the tape. But God is so good. He meets us where we're at. And I've been teaching healing on television on Charter Cable for a year and a half now. And I've studied under some mighty teachers of the Word. And there's nothing against them. They've taught me... but. I'm going into a next level of it, and you're helping through your obedience to God is helping me grow in that, and I'm just very excited because God is confirming, just like Dr. Perry Smith up in in, uh, uh, Greenville. you, You told me yesterday you taught him. So I had no idea, but God is—he's not only brought me to this ministry, God himself is confirming it back to me because God is so good. He wants us to know that we're in the right place in trying to walk out his will. So God is that good. If we'll just step out and try to do better, he'll meet us and he'll he'll confirm it with us. So praise God. I just appreciate this ministry so much.
0: (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we want to thank you for this first session. Now, Lord, we ask you to bless us all as we take a 15-minute break. We ask you to bring us back, Lord, in a few minutes, all well and healthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. So anyway, take a break. And if if you want to give a don't, oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. We'll do it when they come back, honey. I forgot to. We would normally take an offering right now, but we'll do it when you all come back. Or, you know, I forgot it. But anyway. We'll do it later. got a whole lot of land over there. And so uh, uh, hopefully we'll have that where we can start using it by the end of the year, I hope. So anyway, we're going to do that and see how it works out. So the Lord's bringing us in the resources, slowly but surely, to do that. And just as soon as I get enough money uh, together to do that and pay for it, uh, we're going to start. So anyway, now then... We're going to talk about a few things uh, for a few minutes here. Uh, some of the scriptures the Lord promised under the Old Covenant, what he would do if you obey. Now then, this I've come to realize that if you obey, and number one is obey him and putting him first. Now, even in the church, if you don't put him first, it will bring sickness and disease upon your life. But if you put God first and you repent of your sins and do what he says, he'll do Everything he promised he would do for us as children of God, and just like uh, Andy said there a while ago, it's a wonderful thing to not have a seizure in six months, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. I think about when he said that. I think about a young man that I ran into in Home Depot the other day. Two of them, and they were they had blacks, uh, t- big heavy T-shirts on with big white crosses on the back. Said Jesus is Lord. So I thought, I wonder who these guys are. So I ran up and tapped one of them on the back. And I said, hey. When I tapped him on the back, the guy turned around like this. And he said, Thurman Scribner. I said, do I know you? And he said, well, you may not know me. But he said, I will never forget you. I said, well, what did I do for you? He said, you come over to my house five years ago. And I had a five-year-old son. And he had had some seizures two, three a week, sometimes two or three a day. And he said, we repented of our sins. You cast that devil of hell out of my five-year-old son and said in five years he's never had another seizure. He said, I won't never forget you. I said, well, he said, and that's why we're wearing these shirts. That's why this friend and I are out. We're doing things for Jesus because he said, that day Jesus became a whole lot more real to us in our life than he'd ever been before. He said, we've never seen anybody cast out a demon. We've never seen any results like this. But said, you did something in the invisible realm. We couldn't see. You cast out a demon out of my son. And he said, for five years, he's never had another seizure. Hey, I mean, when you learn who these spirits are, you learn that devil, the devil is our problem. And you kicked him out. And oh, by the way, uh, Mr. Freeman here told me a while ago that at the break that Just about the time we prayed, they just called his son, and it's amazing. His son was instantly healed when we prayed. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't God awesome? Does prayer move the hand of God? I'm telling you, isn't it wonderful? See, when you learn to pray in faith, you'll start praying about everything. I love to see God do those kind of things, don't you, Keith? I love to see the King move and do those kind of wonderful things. It's such a blessing. But now then, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless us as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, let's go to Exodus 19. I want to show you a few things in the word about what the Lord says he will do if we obey him. It always is based upon our obedience. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how i missed these things for so many years, and I didn't know what obedience was. That's the secret I thought just going to church on Sunday was being obedient. I didn't know that it was a twenty four seven deal. We've learned that now, hadn't we? We're learning twenty four seven. It says in Moses Exodus nineteen, verse three, Exodus nineteen three, and Moses went unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall you be a peculiar treasure under me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom, of priest, and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now then, today, as children of God, he has made you and me a nation of kings and priests. When you and I become new creatures in Christ, we become joint heirs with the king of the universe. You know what it means to be a joint heir? That means that everything that was available to Jesus is available to you and me. Is that amazing or is that amazing? Everything that was available to Jesus is available to us. And everything that Jesus could do, He says we can do. And He gives us Scripture in the New Testament to prove that. And I don't know a handful of Christians that even believe that they can cast out a demon. But yet Jesus cast out demons. He healed the sick. He did everything. But the average Christian does not believe we can do these things. The average Christian doesn't believe that you can just stop and pray and somebody be healed. Like the young man down there. Rick, wasn't that his name? Rick? Rick? Rick. The young man in Fort Worth, Rick. But that's just like, I mean, he's right here close. But just think, only a few months ago, Cheryl and I were right here on this highway, right out here, when my cell phone rang at 10 o'clock at night. And it was a doctor from Salt Lake City, Utah. And on Tuesday, he had fell out of a tree 35 foot up and crushed his back. Well, I quoted Mark 11:23 to him and to the Father, where Jesus said in Mark 11:23, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it with my heart, I can have it. That's pretty awesome too, isn't it, sir? I mean, we we as men have a little problem believing that, don't we? But after all, the king of the universe said that in his word. And he put that in red. So I said to that man, I said, now the king of the universe, which his name is Jesus, he made me and you a promise. He said... In his word, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to heal and restore and do a supernatural healing on Dr. Gary's back. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. I said, now, sir, I guarantee you the king of the universe, and his name is Jesus, will do a supernatural healing on your back because he made me the promise. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. And I hung up the telephone. And God instantly healed that man's broken back over the telephone. Dr. Gary Young from Salt Lake City, Utah. The next day, he flew Cheryl and I out there, paid our expenses, took us out there, and and put us up in his big, beautiful four level home, and kept us two days and let us teach the Word of God to all the people that his friends, relatives, employees, and everything else, and all of them were Mormons. Isn't that amazing? But the Mormons told me they had never seen a miracle, never seen a healing in the Mormon church in a hundred years of recorded history. But I told them the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the one of this Bible, not the one of the Mormon Bible, was the one that healed this man. And so I didn't come with enticing words, but I come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power that the Jesus of this book is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't that awesome? that he still does miracles. Can you imagine? Here, I'm on the phone. I mean, Rick, he wasn't very far away. But Dr. Gary, he was a thousand miles away. Jesus still heard. And healed that man's broken back up there. Can you imagine a man with a broken back since Tuesday and it's Sunday night and he's laying in bed in excruciating pain and we pray the prayer of faith for him and his pain instantly goes away. And so he scoots over to the edge of the bed, gets up and stands up with no pain. He kind of bends a little, no pain. He kind of bends over a little with no pain. Then he walks up the stairs and back down with no pain. Then he reaches down and picks up his 17 month old son and runs up the stairs and back down. And then he starts running and telling everybody that works for him all around the place, I'm healed. And they all know he's been down with his back since Tuesday. And they're all wondering, Dr. Gary, how can you do this? Well, by prayer in the name of Jesus, how he did this. Now, see, we don't believe that Jesus will do what he said in Mark eleven twenty three. That's such an awesome statement. Jesus said, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, it will happen. You'll do have whatever you say. But the minute you start saying things in faith, that old devil, he'll show up on your doorstep and say, Now, you old worthless critter, you... You don't really think God would do anything for an old worthless guy like you. Think of all the sins you've committed in your life. And he'll remind you of everything you've ever done. And he'll deceive you, you know that? Oh, he's done a good job on me for a long time. But I'm getting where I'm a little harder to fool by that devil. I'm getting a little harder to be deceived by that beast. You know, he still slips in there and gets me every once in a while. You know, he still does things But I'm learning who I am in Christ. I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I know I'm a joint heir with the King of kings and Lord of lords. I know I've already been made a nation of kings and priests with the king. And I already know that I'm supposed to be reigning and ruling with him on the earth now, not when I get to heaven. Now, to those that know, Romans 5.17 makes you that statement. To them that have gained this knowledge and this gift of righteousness shall reign with him, with Christ, on the earth. It's written for you in Romans 5.17. An awesome statement. But all this is based around obeying the king. Now, you're not going to reign and rule with him living in sin. Guarantee you're not going to reign and rule with the king living in sin. You're going to have to humble yourself before God... You're going to have to walk holy before Him. And you're going to have to spend time in the Word and seek Him. And if you do, then all these things will work for you. He's never changed. Seemed like I read somewhere over in something like Hebrews 13:8, something like that where He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I never change. So if He never changes, if He expected these people to obey Him, what do you think He expects the church to do? obey him that's exactly right that's what he expects now then in uh exodus 23:21 this is an awesome statement too in exodus 23:21 it says beware of him and obey his voice provoke him not for he will not pardon your transgressions For my name is in him. Now he's talking about his angel that he's sending with you. So you definitely don't want to make your angel mad. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, the voice of his angel, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. And mine angel shall go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and all these other places, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and quiet break down their images. And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Isn't that awesome? There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in the land. The number of your days I will fulfill. Now, I like that covenant. That's even under the law. That if we'll obey him, he will take sickness away from the midst of us. And we won't have any. Just think. What does that tell us about every metroplex you go to? There is numerous hospitals there and numerous hospitals being built. They're either building them or adding on to them everywhere you go. I mean, even up here in a little town of Denton, they just got through building a multi-million dollar hospital out on this side of town and a multi-million dollar one on that side of town. Big monsters. And guess what? They're full. They're full of people. Sick people. And all them people, some of those people are Christians, but some of them are not. But those people that are in those hospitals, most of them have no idea the promises of God. That's just like one night I got really tickled. One of the gentlemen that was a few years older than me, he was a good friend of mine up here in Justin Baptist Church. He he didn't know these promises. I mean, he went with me one day and we drove, oh, I don't know, a couple hours somewhere and back. And all I did is talk about the Word of God. When we got back, I mean, he was on fire. He said, Thurman, to all them scriptures you've been quoting all day, could you write them down and give them to me? I said, sure, I've got them wrote down. But I said, you need to get in the Word and learn them for yourself. That's the way I learned them. You know? Well, I give him the scriptures, but he didn't learn them. He didn't read them. You know, maybe he read them. I don't. know, But he didn't go. He wasn't diligent about it because he didn't hide them in his heart. Because it wasn't long after that, one somebody, some Sunday, somebody told me, said, "You know, so and so's down at some hospital in Fort Worth, and he's uh, got uh, pneumonia, or whatever." I said, "Well, gee, I guess I better go down there and pray for him." So I think it's the next afternoon, Monday afternoon, I go down there. and Of course, uh, he's a senior, like I was, maybe only a couple, two, three years older than me, and. He was down in that hospital. Of course, a lot of the senior friends, men and women, were all down there standing around drinking coffee, talking. I walked in. I stood there a few minutes and I listened to them. There ain't nobody praying. They're just standing around talking, drinking coffee. So I walked right through the midst of them. And I walked over and laid my hands on him. I said... I forgive your sins. In the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, I command you to come out of him. Now be healed in the name of Jesus. Because it's written in Mark 16, 17, and 18. I said, you'll be out of here nothing flat. And I just walked right back through the middle. They're all looking, for what kind of deal is this? Next afternoon, he is released in the hospital. Isn't that amazing? Jesus tells you to go in. He said, get them to repent of their sins. Lay your hands on them. Rebuke the devil and heal them. In his name. Is that what he said? So you don't have to do a lot of praying. All you gotta do is just go in, lay your hands on them, get them to rebuke, repent of their sins. When they repent of their sins, and you rebuke the devil, and then just say, be healed in the name of Jesus. That's really all you gotta do. Rebuke the devil and thank the Lord that he healed us. That's really all you gotta do. I mean, but you know, if you don't know these promises, Whenever you sin and sickness and disease starts coming upon you and see the devil, he will come in years before and then he'll start. He may start manifesting in some ways right then, but it may be six months later or a year later and he may continue to make you a little bit sicker or feel a little worse and a little worse. And he may continue on and continue on. It may happen five, 10, 15 years because of a sin you done way back down that you never repented of. So whenever you do start coming down with something, you don't realize it was sin. But it was sin. So you need to make sure all your sins are repented of every day. Make sure that you don't have any. So if you do, that devil's got legal right. But if you got every sin repented of and he tries to come upon you and do something to you, then you can just say, oh no, devil, no, no. In the name of Jesus, get out. Just like Jan gave her testimony a while ago. When they give her all those diagnoses, she's hoping on the way to the healing school, it's lupus. But after healing school, she ain't buying that hoping stuff. (laughs) Ain't going there. I I ain't hoping I got lupus. I don't have nothing. You devil of hell in the name of Jesus, you get out of my life. And today, she's here totally healed. Now, which way do you want to have it? You want to have the abundant life, the divine health, or you want to walk in sickness and disease? Well, I think we got the answer to that, don't we? We want divine health. health. That's exactly right. Well, there's a price that has been paid for that divine health. But you're going to have to pay that price too. You're going to have to walk in obedience to the Word to get there. Because when you're living in sin, you've got the door wide open to the devil. And there's all kinds of scriptures that says that you will be injured, you'll be cut off, you'll be killed... All kinds of things will happen to you when you're wicked, when you're not doing what God says. So, wow. But anyway, this scripture is something uh, to think about here. The Lord will do all these wonderful things for us. And this was under the Old Covenant. Then he says in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12, this is just so clear the way the Lord presented this in Deuteronomy 12:27 12, 12:27. 27. 12, 27. He said in Deuteronomy 12:27, a blessing. Now I like a blessing. A blessing if you obey. Now see there it is, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Now that's not a blessing if you obey your employer, although you might get blessed if you if you uh, obey your employer, because most of the time if you're working with somebody and you don't do what he said, he's going to fire you anyway, right? So you ain't going to get much of a blessing. I mean, I never did work for anybody that I didn't do what they said. If they told me what they wanted done, man, I jumped in there with diligence. In fact, as an engineer working for a large corporation, uh, I mean, if my one of my VPs, I worked directly for a VP on a staff for 29 years with those corporations. It sold two times in the process. But the first 17 years, it was with one company. And I mean, one of those VPs tell me something he wanted done. Man, I just jumped in there with all diligence, and he didn't have to tell me but once. I mean, I got it done, whatever he wanted. I didn't care if he wanted me to build a building somewhere. He wanted me to add on to a building He wanted me to design some new equipment for a truck or whatever he called and asked me to do. I jumped on it right then, and I can think about a problem we had with a a truck here, down here at uh, DFW Airport in about, uh, I can't think what year it was now. Anyway, one day I came in from Houston, and as we're landing I looked over there at the first terminal on the left as we're landing, and there stood one of our catering trucks, a big 20 foot truck, laying over on the side of the back of a wing of a 747. I thought, man, that's, I don't know how that happened, but that's not what we wanted. So we landed, I got off the airplane, walked up to the terminal and walked up there, of course, back in those days, you know, if you had a, a badge, which I did, you could go anywhere uh, in there. And so I walked down, met with the uh, head engineering man there, and I said, what happened? He said, uh, there was some really high gust of wind, and the wind blew that truck over on the back of our airplane. I said, how in the world did it do it? Uh, the stabilizers are not down. He said, well, I don't know, but that's the way we found the truck. The stabilizers are not down. Okay. So I left that evening and the next morning early, uh that was about six o'clock in the evening, I think. So the next morning early I was in the VP's office. I mean early I was there. When I walked in he said, Thurman, is there something you can do to those trucks for that them twenty footers where they can't raise that box unless them stabilizers are down? I said, Sir, with what I know about electronics and hydraulics I can make that truck do anything you want to do. All it takes is a little time and money. He said, money is no object. Last night we spent a million plus dollars. But he said, time you don't have. He said, I want it done immediately. I said, okay. So I walked out of that office that morning, and I went to the Lord. Lord, what do I need to do? How do I? What do I need to come up with? How do I need to do this? Well, I came up with a system that we put on a truck. And, of course, I was putting this thing on a truck. And as I was doing it, he came in and said, I just happened to think about something. We use those trucks in a lot of our small out airports, and they have small airplanes only, but we have those big trucks there. He said, I need that truck to go up say eight or 10 feet because we don't have room to put the stabilizer down on this little airplane. But he said, on the bigger airplanes, we got to have them down. I said, how high do you want it to go? He said, 10 foot. I said, okay, no problem. I'll fix it where it go up 10 foot and then if it goes above 10 they won't go up no more unless those stabilizers are down I can do that he said okay do it and so I did and I converted every truck in our whole region to that I personally went and helped install those systems on every truck because I wanted to make sure they were right you know when you design something and build it there's only one guy knows what's right and that's you And so I knew what I wanted. So after we did that, and then they started, had time on their hands, so they started running some wind tunnel tests and everything else. Then they found out that they could raise the truck as much as 12 feet, and it was totally solid in even a 50-knot wind, but above 12. It wasn't stable. So they finally redesigned that system and changed it from my 10 on the other trucks, not on the ones I did, to 12. But every truck, every airline catering truck that comes out now, regardless of who it's made by, anywhere at any airport, no, it makes no matter who has it, they all have that system on them. It's now required by the airlines. They require whoever makes your catering truck to have that system. I designed that system. Isn't it amazing what you can come up with? But it's there. What can you do when you ask the Lord? You can ask the Lord about anything, and He'll show it to you. Under the new covenant, He promises these things. He promises under the new covenant, Ask the Father in my name anything, and I will do it for you. How many of us believe that? We're getting to where we do, don't we, brother? We're working on it. So when He says do all things in prayer under the new covenant, what do you think He meant? Surely he couldn't mean that, could he? But we haven't believed him, have we? we sure. Have. But we're learning too, right? So when he says do all things in prayer, that's what the king meant. Is that part of obeying him? Sure. If he says do everything in prayer with thanksgiving, you don't ever ask him for nothing without saying thank you, Lord, for my answer. He said, oh, there's that little part I was waiting on. You don't just go out here and ask the Lord for something without thanksgiving. He just virtually never answers your prayer like that. But when you ask Him for it and then thank Him for doing it, then He'll do it. You worship and praise Him. Well, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you today all the wonderful things I've got to see God do and the miracles and, and that I've seen as I've built buildings, designed equipment for trucks and buildings and everything else, boiler rooms, everything, you name it. I have prayed over everything all throughout my engineering life, and I have seen the Lord speak to me, audibly, show me things, show me wiring diagrams, explain to me how things work because I've asked Him and sought Him. And all of a sudden, you may just all all the knowledge will just come to you. You just know how to do it. I mean, you ask for something, you're walking down the road, and all of a sudden, bam, it hits you. You know how to do it. Where do you think it came from? From the Lord, sure. You know, from the Lord. And you know what you need to do? This is what a lot of people do. You pray about something like that and it comes to you an hour later and they say, Oh Lord, that's okay. I just thought of it myself. <laughs> no, 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 no. You didn't just think of it yourself. You do that a couple of times, it's, going to, it's not going to do you much good to pray after that. Oh, he, I'm, I'll tell you the little joke about these two scientists that said, God, we don't need you no more. We've learned how to clone a man. We can make a man from dirt just like you did. God says, okay. If you can't, go ahead. Be my guest. And so they go out there and they scoop up a spoonful of dirt. He said, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we're going to show you. We can make a man from dirt just like you did. He said, oh, no, no. That's my dirt. You make your own dirt. And then you start from there, just like I did. <laughs> See, they're not as smart as they thought they were. Now they got to make dirt. And they don't know how to do that. <laughs> I guarantee you. So, God's smart, isn't He? He made the dirt and He gave it to us. And you know, the other day I'm driving down the road. And we at Cheryl had just went out and bought some green and uh, luscious uh, purple grapes, and I had a hand, little deal full. I'm eating them driving down the road, and I'd eat one of them. I said, Lord, thank you for this. You sure do good work with dirt. I said, Lord, that dirt, how you can take that dirt and that water, and you can turn it into this luscious thing that tastes so great is beyond my imagination. Well, Lord, every time I put one in my mouth, I say, Lord, thank you for this beautiful grape. You sure do good work with dirt. Isn't it amazing what he can do with dirt? Everything comes from dirt. I don't care what it is. It all comes from dirt. You came from dirt. You know, everything comes from dirt. So, it's amazing what God can do. But in Deuteronomy twelve twenty seven, he says, A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and verse 28, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Pretty clear, isn't it? So he, he speaks it. A curse if you don't obey and a blessing if you do. You
3: right,
0: We're not Deuteronomy 12. What did I do? Write the wrong number down? Is it Deuteronomy eleven? Okay, maybe I did look at read it. 11. eleven. I'll have to change that in my computer. I have to remember that when I get home. I'll make a note here. Deuteronomy eleven. Deuteronomy eleven. Okay. Deuteronomy eleven. <clears throat> okay. So verse twenty eight. Okay. So that's what that says. Then uh, let's go down to uh, verse uh, Deuteronomy. we'll see if i made a mistake here. Deuteronomy 13.4, if I got this in the right place, it says, You shall walk after the Lord your God. That's it? it. it? Okay, thank goodness I didn't make a mistake there. Now, you notice he said, You shall walk after the Lord. Not if you want to. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments, and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. Now then, that's a commandment that God's giving mankind to walk with Him and fear Him and love Him and be obedient to obey Him. People say, well, if I could hear God's voice, I would obey Him. Let me tell you, anybody can hear God's voice any time you want to. All you've got to do is open the Word of God and read it out loud. That is God talking to you. Is that true? The Word of God is God, right? So if you want to hear God's voice, you can... And I will let's say it's wonderful when the Lord speaks to you in an audible voice. And I have heard that voice so many wonderful times. It's so, so wonderful. To have heard that voice. But we can hear God speaking to us because His voice is the Word of God. And all we've got to do is open the book and read it. And when we do, and then obey what He says. That's all we need to hear. So He'll do that. And then I'm going to read to you in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, 19 and 20 and 21, what they used to do to a son that would not obey God. Now, some people would think this is a little harsh. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, one of the ladies was telling me a while ago uh, that uh, uh, I think it was her son-in-law or something didn't want her daughter to come. I won't point you out or nothing because she, they had heard one of my tapes and her son-in-law thought I was a little rough because he heard a tape where I had grabbed a woman around the throat and shook her and screamed, devil, come out of her. But well, that was my own wife back there. That I did that too. And I've said that many a time. A lot of people would think that, you know, that if they'd have walked in on me and Cheryl when she walked in that day, when she walked up, she had 1,200 people to sing to that night, her and her daughter and her band. And they'd paid a lot of money for her to sing. And she walks in the middle of the afternoon, got to start about seven. She walks in at the middle of the afternoon, barely whisper, say, honey, you got to pray for me. Something wrong with my throat. She could just barely whisper. Well, I know that's a demon. So I reached up and grabbed her around the throat and shook her real good three or four times and screamed, "You devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus!" And then I turned her loose and I said, "Now talk to me." And she could talk perfectly clear and normal. She went that night and she sang to twelve hundred people, never missed a lick. But I said, a lot of Christians that have walked in and seen me, that if they kill that guy, he's killing his wife. No, I was killing that demon. That's what I was doing. I was casting out that demon. And sometimes you have to get violent with demons. But that's just the way the Lord moved on my heart. I mean, when she walked up and said that, I just reached up and grabbed her around the throat. I mean, just shook her real good about three or four times. I said, come out of her, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. Bam, he left and she was instantly set free. It's not the normal thing happens in a normal Baptist church on Sunday. I'll say that. But I didn't learn these things in church. I learned them reading the Word. And God is awesome. But I'm going to show you what happens to a disobedient son when a son is disobedient and does not obey God under the law. Now look at what it says in Deuteronomy twenty-one eighteen: If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, which shall not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. Now just think, this is just a son to his father on earth. That, that's not, this is thinking that we're children, and when our father tells us that we are rebellious and stubborn, woo, so let's listen to what he gives us an example here, just to, on earth. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him unto the elders of the city, and unto the gates of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, and he is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die, so shall you put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's about as severe as you can get, right? Aren't you glad we don't live under the law? (laughs) There'd be a whole lot of kids today that'd be dead, you know it? But you know what would happen in a little while if we went back under that? There'd be a whole lot of them that stubborn and rebellious and quit being stubborn and rebellious, wouldn't they, brother? That's That's exactly right. We've made things too easy for so many people. And I tell you, it's amazing when people know there is a consequence to sin. I mean, just like I was talking to a lady just this week, and we're talking about what happens whenever children disobey and they go out and get drunk and how we have to go bail him out of jail. And I said, you know, I found out the best thing you can do if one of them gets drunk and go to jail, just let him pay his price. Leave him in there. Because if you go bail him out, he's going to go do it again. I said, just leave him in there. If he has to sit in there 60 days, 6 months or 6 years, he will learn his lesson. I mean, you've got a whole lot of time to think sitting in prison. You know it. Yes, absolutely. I'm talking out of experience. Guarantee. Guarantee. My son-in-law. I went and bailed him out the first time. Second time, I said no. And the third time, I said, that's it. You're serving your prison sentence. He stayed nine months in jail. The other day he come to see me, he's a totally different man. Totally different man. He said, Herman, i got to sitting there thinking, is this the way I want to spend my life? He said, this is a waste of my life. And so he has quit drinking. He's been out three months. He hadn't had a drop to drink all the time he was in prison. And since he got out, and he's doing no drugs no more. And I I told him the time before. I said, you know, I didn't plan to personalize this message, but since it happened, I'll personalize it. It happened to me, to my son-in-law. But I told him after the first time, I said, you go back, you get drunk again, and they catch you. I said, in fact, if you get drunk and I see you, I'm going to turn you in personally. I said, I had a sister who got killed because of people like you. Guarantee. I said, I will turn you in. But I didn't have to. He got caught anyway. And he went to jail. And he stayed nine months. And then he realized what he was doing. And when he got out this time, he has been straight ever since. Yep. Guarantee. Sir, I mean, yes, ma'am. We have an year old son that's sitting in jail right now for possession of illegal drugs. Would you pray that prayer over him that God get a home with him while he's there? Yes, we will. We, we, will, we will. we will do that after the teaching. We will definitely do that. But without prayer, you can do nothing. Nothing, you need to realize, nothing happens until you pray. After you pray, nothing's impossible. Is that right, brother? I mean, when we pray in faith, that is. When we call a king in remembrance of his promises, I mean, I think about, I think about the people. I could not even tell you today, I can't even remember all the people I prayed for over the telephones and the mighty miracles of God I've seen happen all over this country. About the hundreds I've seen them. I mean, I'm talking about miracles. I mean, I'm talking about people with, Broken backs or twisted spines or withered hands or whatever that I prayed for over the telephone that were instantly healed. Wow. And just like you said, Brother Freeman, the church supposed to be doing this. This ain't supposed to be a Thurman scripture deal. This is supposed to be the church. And here's a few other men doing it besides me, I guarantee you. There's a few of them believing God. But what a shame. We ought to all be believing God. And then we'd make a change. Then the people that's outside the church would say, Hey, this bunch of people down here, they're different. We need to know what they got. They're walking in divine health. They don't ever get sick. They go to hospitals and lay hands on people that aren't sick and they get well. And then those people come down they join the church and they don't ever get sick no more. That's where we're supposed to be living. That's That's where the children of God are supposed to be living. So, But we got to change our ways to get there. But... What happened under the law in Deuteronomy 21? If you were rebellious, son? they didn't after the, after the mother and father had chastised that son every way they knew how, and he would not obey, they're to take him before the elders of the city. And what are the elders of the city to do to him? Kill him. Does that sound a little rough? Huh? That's a little tough, isn't it? Kill him. That's what, that's what the scripture says. That's amazing. Wow. I think about that. Deuteronomy twenty eight. Let's go to Deuteronomy twenty eight. Verse fifty eight. Start with verse fifty eight. Deuteronomy twenty eight, fifty-eight. If anybody that can read the entire chapter of Deuteronomy and not verses one through the end and not get this message of what God will do under the blessings and the curses, wow, you really miss it. But in Deuteronomy 28:58, he says there, If you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Now, that's the way that starts out. If you will not observe to do all the words. Now, how are you going to know what they are if you don't read them? That's the problem. We don't read them. But if you don't do it, listen to what he says. Then the Lord will make thy plagues. Now, the King James uses a word there I don't understand. It says He will make your plagues wonderful. That's not exactly the same interpretation we call wonderful. He'll make them awful, really, is what we should say. He'll make your plagues wonderful and the plagues of your seed, your children, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuances. I don't know about you, but I don't like anything I'm reading there, do you? No. But it all happens when we do not obey the Lord. Then he says, moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and you shall cleave unto these sicknesses. And every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of the law, then will the Lord bring upon you until you be destroyed, and you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitudes, because you wouldst not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good, and to multiply you so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, that you shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. Do you think it pays good dividends to serve the Lord, to obey Him? I'm telling you, I mean, I think about these great and awesome promises. Now, we've we've read a, a, a few of these promises here. Uh, from the Lord, I've got a whole bunch more of them, but I'm not going to read them for the interest of time. I'm from the Old Testament. There's many, many other statements just like this, which I've got several pages of them. But I like to talk about what happened when we obey under the New Covenant. That's where we are supposed to be living today, under the New Covenant. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever as far as obeying. I mean, He demanded we obey under the Old Covenant. He demands we obey under the New Covenant. And I'm going to prove that to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if we do, then that's when God blesses us. Then He says, I'm going to read uh, one more uh, verse in the Old Testament, and that's in Daniel 7.27. In Daniel 7.27, and it says, And the kingdom and dominion... And the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints. Now see Daniel is speaking about something's going to happen way in the future. Listen to what he said. And the kingdom and dominion, in other words, the kingdom of heaven and its dominion, which we had in the beginning, which we lost, and we gave to the devil. We lost it. But now Daniel's saying, But the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, And dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Do you realize that Daniel told us way, way in advance Way, way in advance that this dominion and power and authority of the kingdom was going to be given to the saints of the Most High God in the future. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And we got some fanning and the rest of it. Are, are we okay? Okay. I can't please everybody. <laughs> I set it up a few degrees, and all ago I had it on seventy. I thought I'll keep it cool, and some of you at breaks, and "Can you raise the temperature?" I'm freezing in here, so I went and set it up about three or four degrees, and now some of you are fatties. <laughs> okay. Oh goodness! If anybody gets completely uncomfortable, I'll go back in there and set it down a couple of degrees. So you know, but anyway, we'll do the best we can. My fans, and I wear a jacket. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> okay. So. They can't please all of us. get us <laughs> That's the way it is. I, re- I remember used to, when I was working as an engineer at one of the places, I designed a big computer room upstairs and the air conditioning ducts. I, I knew these ladies that worked there, so I designed the ducts for these first two girls. I knew they were always hot. They had to have the air blown right on them. And this other little girl, she sat on the far side, and I put her as far away from the ducts as I could. And I used to come in in the winter, to, in the spring, or in the fall. And these two girls would have the air conditioner blowing full bore over here all on them. And this girl down here would have a sweater on and an electric heater under her desk having it plugged in. I thought, man, there ain't no way. I can keep ain't no way in the world I can please all these girls. But first of all, these girls had not learned to speak to their bodies. <laughs> well, I mean, the word says that. The Word says the, when a man learns to control his tongue, he becomes perfect in all his ways and he shall be able to control his whole body. That's what it says. You can control your whole body with your tongue. So, just like when Randy said there a while ago, he's learning now that he can pray in faith for himself. You know? You can certainly pray for yourself. Now then... The only time you're not supposed to be able to pray for yourself if you're a married woman. <laughs> if you're a married woman, you're supposed to submit or obey to your priest, which is supposed to be walking holy before God. And when he prays, you're supposed to get instantly healed. Now, see, that's that we don't like to hear that as guys. You know, because my wife, I got got to pray for my wife, but Thurman, no, 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 all this stuttering and jammering, get over it, you're supposed to be walking in faith, walking in obedience to God's word, and you're supposed to be walking so holy and so full of the word of God, when your spouse comes to you, you're supposed to pray for her as your spouse. She's supposed to go through you. You're supposed to go to Jesus and then to the Father through Jesus. And when you go in that line, when you're walking in obedience and faith, the Lord will virtually instantly every time heal your mate. You know, And so that's the way it is. Now then, if you're a wife and you're trying to go around your husband to pray when your husband's available, then you're disobedient and God's not hearing your prayer because you're trying to go around your priest. Uh, as a woman that's married, you should always go through your priest, which is your husband. Because God did say, women, wives, he's talking about, submit to your own husbands in everything. In all things, you are to submit to your husband so when women do that when they humble themselves and come to their husband now you need a husband that's obedient to god's word because he's not obedient to god's word it ain't gonna do no good so if you have a husband that's not obedient to god's word then you really better get on your soapbox to god and say lord i'm standing as high as i can get to get to the throne of grace Lord, I'm coming up here and I need you to move on my husband's heart so he'll become the man of God you want him to be so he can pray for me. Because your prayers are much more powerful under the new covenant. When you come to him, I mean this magnificent promise and dominion and power of the new covenant becomes ours in Matthew 18:19. In Matthew 18:19, in fact in verse 18, the Lord even makes a bolder statement. He said there in Matthew eighteen eighteen, He tells you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's pretty awesome. That's so powerful that most of the church don't believe it. But then the next verse is even more powerful. Matthew eighteen nineteen, Jesus said, and again I tell you that if two of you on earth Agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father, which is an heaven. So when you got two of you, a man and a wife, that's walking in a love relationship with each other and with God, and all your sins are repented of, what kind of limitations did the king give you as a powerful couple? I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? And how many times do we believe him? I mean, we just don't, do we? Not enough. But I mean, is that written in the Word? Don't you think it's time we start using that? I mean, I do. I mean, Cheryl and I use that all the time. I mean, every time she's got a little problem, I mean, man, she's on my doorstep and said, you've got to pray over me right now. I mean, she's very demanding. Especially since she's learned that God answers prayer. You know, God has spoiled my wife rotten. <laughs> if she don't get healed instantly, you know what she says? If she's still got the same problem, more, she said, "Did you sin somewhere? What's your problem? Why didn't God hear your prayer?" Uh, JC, she's right on my case. I know it. He's her too much. Amen. He spoiled her too much. So. blood on your Amen. Do what? Oh yeah. Yeah, here a while back I had a real after we got back from Salt Lake City Utah I had a serious attack from the enemy. Ser- I've never had an attack like this. But it was serious. I mean my whole left leg began from just below the knee down just started burning like fire one Sunday night after church. And so I pulled my boot off and my sock down and I thought, wow, I mean, it had blood, it was, looked like I had blood blisters all over, it was solid red, and looked like it had big blood blisters all over, you could touch one, looked like it popped blood and start running out. I just looked, I said, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, I said, you come out of me, and go, I said, it's over, I, you, I just, it's, you're, you're the devil, and you, I know I have power over you, I said, get out in the name of Jesus. So I just thanked the Lord for my healing, and put my shoe back, boot back on, and everything. Went home that night and went to bed. Next morning, about 7 o'clock, Cheryl got up to go to the bathroom or something. And I said, oh, honey, while you're up, won't you look at my leg? She said, what's wrong with your leg? I said, well, last night I had a little attack from the enemy. I said, just look at it and see what you think this morning. I really expected it to be healed. But it wasn't. It's just as bad. So when she pulled the cover back, she looked down and she screamed. She reached up and she grabbed my leg. She said, you devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. I mean, she got violent. Well... That day, I called in a couple of other prayer warriors, men, but all of us stayed together and stayed on the word. It it took three or four days. In fact, one of the men that came to pray with me was a doctor. He's he's uh, a—he's a—he was a veterinarian doctor, but that's a—that's a medical doctor. But he's happened to be a veterinarian doctor. But he came and looked at me, and he said, "Thurman, he said if you were not such a man of faith, I would immediately take you to the hospital for surgery right now." But he said, I know you're not going, are you? I said, absolutely not. I am not going. I said, we're going to get it done by prayer or we ain't going to get it done. And so it took three or four days. He prayed. Another friend of mine came in. He prayed. He anointed me with oil. And and they prayed. And Cheryl prayed over me every day and everything. But after three or four days, I was okay. It all went away. Well, every once in a while, that enemy will attack that leg again. He's done that three or four times. Not near like he did that first time. But I've had two or three little attacks on that leg, and I really think what's caused that, years ago, years ago, I was standing between two boilers, and a young man blew a big boiler down. When he blew that boiler down, that 250 degree plus water temperature come gushing out and hit the floor and bounced back and bounced right on my leg. And from just below my knee down, I got first, second, and third degree burns. It just took all the skin right off of my leg. It burned me severely. Well, the doctor said I'd be out of work for six weeks. I said, no, I'll be back to work next Monday. Well, I was. I was back to work next Monday. And, of course, I went over for some kind of therapy that put my leg in a a bucket of swirling water type deal and this doctor could not believe how rapidly my leg healed he said I've never seen a leg heal that fast well let me tell you it's faith that makes your leg heal fast you don't live we as Christians are not supposed to live in a normal world you know if the doctor tells you you've got this you believe it if the doctor tells you you've got this problem and it's going to take 8 weeks for you to heal you know what we do we believe that. It's just like one day I went down here. There was a, a gentleman about my age that fell out of a tree and, and uh, broke his arm or broke his leg. And we were down here in Fort Worth. And a friend of mine came up and said, would you go down and see Brother So-and-so with me? I said, sure. We went down there. We we're sitting there. And of course, he's Southern Baptist. I was a Southern Baptist. We we're sitting there. and we was talking about the Word. And, and I said, well, uh, he said, I'm grateful the Lord's with me. If he hadn't been with me, he said, I'd have probably got killed. I said, well, yep, yeah, we are grateful that he was with you. And so I said, uh, how long are you going to be in here? He said, well, the doctor said I'm going to have to be at least six weeks before I get out. I said, do you believe the Word? He said, of course I believe the Bible. He said, I'm a Baptist. I said, well, okay. I said, if you really do believe the Word, then why don't we turn over to Matthew 18:19 let's see what the king said. He said, Thurman, if it's written in that book, I believe it. I said, well, okay, let's see if we do. So he reached over and got his Bible, and he flipped over there to Matthew eighteen nineteen. He said, and again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. I said, so are we going to agree for six weeks today, or are we going to agree for something quicker than that? He said, that's what it says. Anything we ask him he'll do. I said, So what can you believe him for? Well he said, Good grief, I can believe him for two weeks. I said, Hey, Matthew eight thirteen, Jesus said, As you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. Matthew eight thirteen, as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. Isn't that amazing? I mean the centurion soldier. He came over in Matthew eight, and he said, "Lord, I got a servant home with a palsy. Will you come and heal him?" Jesus said, "I'll go heal him." He said, "No, no, no, no. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm a man under authority. I speak to this servant and that, and they do it. So he said, "I know you're a man under authority. You just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed." Jesus said, "Wow. I have not found such great faith in all Israel." He said, as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. Isn't that amazing? So, we agreed that the Lord would heal him in two weeks. And guess what? He went home in two weeks instead of six. See, that's all the faith he could have. See, he said he believed the Word, but he really didn't, did he? He just like the rest of us. You know, just like the rest of us. We believe a little. We're too steeped in the flesh. We don't believe God can do miracles. I mean, give me a break, you know, a broken leg. You think that God could just heal that broken leg and you get up and walk out on it? Or if you can believe it, He can. Guarantee He can. He can do everything you can do, you can think, and then some. He's not limited. But in Daniel 7, He tells us, 27, He's going to give the saints the dominion and power and authority over the kingdom. Wow. And then let's see. Let's go to, while well, we're there in Matthew 8, let's read a few more of those scriptures in Matthew 8. Let's see what Jesus came doing. Matthew 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him. This is the story we just read. And saying, Lord, my servant lies at home with a palsy. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. I didn't even, I'd already forgotten. That was my next scripture. And then he tells all about that. And he says, uh, of all the things he says, And I am a man under authority, and I know you're a man under authority. And Jesus said, I have found no such great faith not in all Israel. And then Jesus in verse 13 said, Go thy way, and as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. A palsy. Wow. What a God. And then look at verse 16. Just down a little bit. Verse 16, when the evening was come, there was brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Well, let me tell you, that's still the way it is today. Demons. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. How many does Jesus want to heal? All that will believe. are we glad he's a God that wants to heal us all? All we've got to do is have faith and believe. And in verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, He doesn't plan for me and you to have them, does He? Right. At least that's the way I understand that. They ain't no use for me and Him both having to pay this price. If he redeemed me from the curse of the law, ain't no use in me and him both being under that curse. If he redeemed me from sin, ain't no use in me and him both being in sin. He said, I took your sin so you don't have to sin. Isn't that amazing? I took your sickness so you don't have to be in sickness. But it's clearly written there. Wow. And then in verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish in this storm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. I wonder what he'd say to us today. I mean we don't have to get out in the storm sometimes. We just get out here in a bl- blowing rainstorm and we start shaking. Oh God, how Lord help me get home in this rainstorm. Hey, you can just pull over and park if you want to. In fact I was coming back I'd been out at a three day conference down the other side of Houston here a few years ago and I see I forget what's the next town outside of Houston, Beaumont? Yeah, I think that's where I was at Beaumont. And so I was driving back and I come up and I got just down here just a little bit below where the 235 split where the where 35 splits into two I was still on the single part of 35 and all of a sudden it started raining and I mean it started there was two men with me and it started raining and and started raining so hard that man I mean, I could not see the road in front of me. So I pulled my car off to the side of the road and stopped. Now then, from what little I could see when it was lighting, there was trucks up in front of me and everything else pulled off the side of the road, so everybody had the same idea I did. Nobody passed. And then all of a sudden, it started hailing, hail about marble-sized hail. And it's a bang, 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 hitting the car and everything. I said, that's it, devil, that's it. I said, in the name of Jesus, I said, now guys, I'm going to tell you, you may have never seen anything like this, but I'll explain to you in a minute what I'm going to do. I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you know I know the Scripture. So I said, now Luke ten nineteen twenty definitely guarantees that I have power over you, and you shall in no wise hurt me, and that you have to be subject to me. So I said, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I rebuke you, and I command you to not let another hailstone hit my car in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord, for giving me power over the devil. Bam. Not another hailstone hit my car, but about three feet from my car all the way around, it was still falling like crazy. Not a single hailstone was hitting my car. Not one. Them two guys sitting there saying, it's hailing out there, Thurman. I said, I know. But I said, we have dominion and power over the devil. How did you do that? I said, well, I mean, I just believed the Word. I said, now, Luke ten, nineteen, and 20 I said, think about this, guys. You might ought to look this up in your Bible to make sure, if you don't have this committed to memory, that this does say what I say. It does. Under the new covenant, this is the promises Jesus has given us, this dominion and power that he promised in the book of Daniel. Luke 10, 19, and 20, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. But he said, nevertheless, rejoice not in this that the evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. I mean, with a promise like that, hey, you think I'm going to let the devil beat up on me? No, no way. I mean, just think this belongs to me as a child of God. Does it not? As the son or daughter of the king, does this belong to you? It does if you know it. But how many years did I not know it? A whole bunch of them. And that devil beat up on me big time. Big time. But when I began to learn and I rebuked that devil, I commanded him to stop that. Virtually no strong wind hit my car. It was rain. Some rain continued to fall on a car, but no hail. So it hailed out there for 30 minutes. And so then it stopped. It done all kinds of devastating things down in that part of the country. Tore people's air conditioners. It did all kinds of stuff. It hailed a bunch in that 30 minutes. And then it stopped hailing. And it kept raining. It didn't take long. The rain melted most of the hail. Because it was just pouring down, gushing rain at the same time it was hailing. Well, we sat there for a half hour. And then the rain kind of slacked up. Well, I said, We can see now. We can go. I pulled out. We didn't drive a mile until I seen an 18 wheeler that had pulled off to the side of the road, and that 18 wheeler was laying on its side in the bar ditch. Bloated over. We got just around the corner up there underneath that first bridge for 35 splits, and there was another one laying over on the side. Hey. I am glad I know that I have dominion. I am glad that I know that I have power over the devil, and he has to be subject to me in the name of Jesus. That's your new covenant today as children of God. So when it comes to healing, it's the same thing. The sickness and disease that comes upon us comes upon us from the devil. we got to make sure our sins are repented of, and when our sins are repented of, then we rebuke the devil, command him to leave, and he has to go away. Now then, you've got to make sure that you believe these things and you've got to make sure that you don't keep sinning because you don't want to go back and sin. Because I guarantee you if once Jesus heals you and you've learned the truth and you stop having seizures or you stop having whatever and then you think, well, it's just a coincidence I've lived three years without a seizure now. You know, I guess I can go back and do a few of the things I used to do. I'm tell you are really on thin ice. Because if you sin again after you know that God healed you, your seizures may come back immediately, and you may never be able to get rid of them again as long as you live. I have seen that too. But see, God makes that statement too in his word. You know, Hebrews ten twenty six, he clearly says If you willfully sin after you have the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice for that sin. Isn't that scary? But only a fiery judgment of God. In fact, that's so powerful I want you to see that in your word. I mean I just quoted a little, but let's read it all in Hebrews ten you don't very often hear this taught in church i don't think i ever heard this taught in church but hebrews 10:26 i did hear it taught on on television one time but the preacher that preached it he said god was talking to lost people here well i'm going to let you decide that yourself because i've already made my decision hebrews 10:26 For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. Now God calls you an adversary if you're living in sin. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment suppose you shall be he thought worthy, who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Does that sound like a child of God? That's got to be a child of God. An unholy thing, and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him who has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Who do you think he's talking about there? It sounds clear to me, don't it you? Talking about Christians. Hey, if you're a Christian and you know that it's wrong to go out and do something, you do, do it anyway, I'm telling you, it's like walking across that pond out there when it's frozen over just barely. And you think, Maybe I'm gonna go out there and skate on the ice I walk out of here to Ah, it's got to be okay. And you run out there about four more steps when you get about water about this deep and you fall right through. Let me tell you, ain't no fun there. I've been there and done that too. You know, didn't do that but once. You you learn next time you get out there, you jump out on the edge real, I mean really jump on it. I mean really jump up and down on it and nothing even moves, nothing cracks or anything. You move out there three or four more feet and jump up and down and if nothing moves or cracks, you say, okay. I've got this. It's thick. It's two or three or four inches under here. Now I, I'm okay. In other words, I can walk on water. You know, it's a little solid water, but I can walk. That's the only kind of water I ever walked on, too. <laughs> I never walked on it when it wasn't frozen. But frozen, I've walked on it. That's all the faith I got, I guess. But you want to be very careful with this covenant that you have. This covenant is so awesome, and God's given us such great power in the church, and he heals us. But he said, then after you learn these things, if you turn your back on me, you know, I mean, even Second Peter had something. He said, if you learn these things or are delivered from all these wicked things, and then you turn your back on me, it's worse for you than before. It would be better that you never known me, to have known me, and then turn your back on me. And that's scary too, isn't it? But a lot of people do that. But uh, I don't want to be one of those. But anyway, as the Lord had done what he's doing here, he says, O ye of little faith. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And it says, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, see, this is that dominion that Daniel was telling us about that Jesus come to confirm that this is what we can do as men when we walk holy in obedience to his word. This is the power that's available. So this is why the devil don't want none of us to learn who we are. Because when we learn who we are, Jesus even made an awesome statement in John 14, 12. Now, if you don't know John 14, 12 by memory, go over there and look at that. That is just a little more than the average Christian can grasp. But what did, what did Jesus just done here in Matthew eight? What did He done to the sea, the winds, and the waves? He spoke to them, didn't He? And what did they do? They obeyed Him, didn't they? Well, in John fourteen twelve, what did Jesus say in John fourteen twelve that we can do to anyone that believes in Me, Jesus? What did He say we could do? What? It, it couldn't possibly say that, sir. It really, it couldn't say that. If it did, we'd be doing those things. But it does say that, doesn't it? And again, to anybody that believes in me, well, there must not be very many people believe in Jesus then, right? We really don't believe him. Not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater works than these that I've done shall you do in my name. Did your Bible read like that? So what kind of works are you supposed to be doing? The things Jesus did, right? Speaking to trees. Speaking to mountains. Speaking to sickness and disease. Speaking to sin. When sin tries to come to you, speak to it. Command it to leave you in the name of Jesus. Don't yield to sin, right? Absolutely not. Walk holy in obedience to God's Word. Because he said here, he's rebuking these guys because they have so little faith. Then after he rose and rebuked the winds, and they said, what manner of man is this? And he says, when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils or demons coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no man might pass by that way. That's the way people are. Whenever the demons manifest in them, they become exceedingly fierce. I have seen little frail women come exceedingly fierce when demons manifest in their bodies. I have seen it, not once, many times. I mean, when a demon manifests in your body, you will become exceedingly fierce. Now look, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him and said, If you cast us out, Let us go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go! And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine, which the book of Mark tells us there was 2,000 of them, they ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and they perished in the waves. Now these demons was in these two men. And they went into 2,000 hogs and drove the whole herd down into the sea and drowned all 2,000 of them. So how many demons can you have in your flesh? There's no telling. No telling. I mean, every time you sin, you get a demon or a multitude of demons. And these things are going to come in and they're going to be the things that's going to make you sick and afflict you. These demons had these men so completely controlled that they were just controlled all time by the demons. I mean, they ran through the tombs cutting themselves. They ran through naked And everything else makes you wonder when you see all these men and women that now are out here, like on television and everywhere else, that are presenting their bodies, you know, with no, nothing to cover them up. And I mean, you know, you can flip through, especially the UHF channels, you can flip through those channels. And if you're not careful, especially late at night, I mean, you can just come up on a scene that will knock your socks off. You think, what is wrong with these men and women? It's awful what they're doing. Well, let me tell you what's wrong with them. They got demons. That's what's wrong with them. They got devils in them. No human being is going to get on television and strip their bodies off to show their naked body to people unless they got demons in them. You ain't going to do that. You know. I mean, you're just not going to do that. So, that's what's wrong with these men in the Scripture. That's what's wrong with people today. Whenever they do these things, they got demons. Now, in Mark chapter 1, let's see here. We're going to go just a few more minutes here, and then we're going to quit. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 27, And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Isn't that amazing? And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region, around about Galilee, and it says, and forthwith when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and they tell her a hymn of her, and he came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And another one of the Scriptures says, and he rebuked the fever. So whenever he touched her, he knew with no sin in his life, he had authority over these spirits, so when he spoke to these spirits, they have to obey him. So when something comes upon you, some kind of sickness and disease, Make sure you have your sins repented of, because sin's what opens the door to the devil. Without sin, the Word of God says there's no sickness. It's all over the Bible when you begin to read it. Without sin, God promises to keep us free of all sickness and all disease. And it's written all over this book. I can show you dozens of places that's written. Dozens. But it's like we don't believe it. if you will obey me under the law, did we read in Exodus fifteen twenty-six a while ago, I will take all sickness and disease away from you? He promised it, didn't he? So what did he say? That if you don't do what he says, he'll speak the curse upon you. And then he named in Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting with verse 58 and 59, all the sicknesses and the plagues that he'll bring upon you if you're disobedient. And also he'd bring them upon your children. Your seed. That's scary, isn't it? To think your children could be made sick because of your sin. That's really scary. That really makes you want to straighten your act up more holy before God. No man wants his children to be sick and afflicted. Nobody. I even had a man the other day he said, I was begging the Lord to put my child's sickness on me. I said, now that's dumb too. Because the devil will do it. He'll put it on both of you. I said, you know, you need to rebuke that. You need to ask God to forgive you for that statement. And then we need to get you and your child to repent of all sin. Then we need to drive these devils out in the name of Jesus. So that's what you have to do. And then, where and, uh, we were there, after he rebuked that sickness and Simon's mother was healed, it was a fever. And then he says, at evening when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of various diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Now, I have done that myself a lot of times I'll, when I start a service, or a lot of times on a regular basis, I will demand devil I demand that not a single demon manifest in this place today. I don't want any demons to manifest. I command you in Jesus' name, no manifestation of devils. I just command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Now, I did that regularly, and he'll hear a while back at church, I hadn't done it for several weeks. And I didn't know that one of the men that was there prayed that morning, Lord, we hadn't seen a demon manifest in a long time. So Lord, please let us see a demon manifest. And Keith and Shelley were there that Sunday, weren't you, Keith? You remember that well. I didn't know this man had prayed this, and so we started to pray for a little lady, and a demon manifested in her. And I mean, it made your toenails curl up, didn't it, Keith? It really did, and it really makes you aware of what happens. A little frail woman when a demon manifests, she ain't a little frail woman. It took three men to hold that woman. Three. I mean, she went wild and screaming. It was awful what was happening. But we kicked the devil out of her and got her subdued and everything. And then after that, at that night, I was saying, you know, I I don't understand what happened. I mean, after everybody goes home... We're sitting there as a team, and I said, you know, I don't understand what happened. I normally command the devils. I suffer them not to speak. I don't want them to create a scene. But I said, I hadn't prayed that in three or four or five Sundays. I guess that's why. And one of the team members, he said, oh, my wife and I said this morning, the way to church. We've not seen a demon manifest in a while, so Lord, let one manifest today. We want to see one. I said, oh, my (laughs) So we got to see one. All right. The Lord heard their prayer. (laughs) Asking you, children, be careful what you ask for. Be very careful what you ask for. And and then look at the next thing Jesus did, and we're going to quit after this one. And it says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Why do you think Jesus had such great and awesome power with God? He stayed in prayer. That's exactly right. Now, if you want to see God do great things in your life, you're going to have to learn how to worship and praise and stay in prayer. Because without prayer, nothing happens until you pray. When you pray, after that, nothing's impossible. You know, nothing's impossible. I love it. Whenever we pray and we see an instantaneous miracle, especially when we get to see one like we did for your son a while ago. Here he is down there in Fort Worth and we pray and the boys instantly healed. I mean, daddy goes up and makes a phone call and the boys already healed. Praise God. You know, the Lord is a mighty God and he does great and mighty things. But this war is going on and it's going on for the souls of mankind. So we're going to quit because it's five o'clock. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the privilege, Lord, to come here to teach these healing schools. I thank you for the information you give me. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, every time, thank you Lord, that every time I go to the word, you give me a new revelation from your word about healing for every class. Lord, there's things I've covered today that I've never had in a healing class in the last 10 years. But, Lord, some of it's brand new. Some of it's old. But, Lord, it's all good. It's Your Word. So, Lord, we thank You and praise You for all these wonderful blessings. And, Lord, there's so much more under the New Covenant. Lord, I ask You to inspire every person here to really study their New Covenant uh, and to get in it and to believe it and to read it slowly and prayerfully so You can reveal to them the same magnificent promises that belongs to them. Healing belongs to us. Once we repent of sin... Healing is ours every time. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your promises. And that also, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you today that your promises that you've told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that no matter how many promises you made us, if we're in Christ, all the promises are always yes to your obedient children. So, Lord, thank you for that great and awesome promise you've made us in your word. Now, Lord ask you to deliver and heal everybody that comes for prayer today. That you might be glorified. Lord, this is all about you, not me. All these testimonies we heard today, you healed every one of these people that came up. I didn't have a thing to do except just pray for them. You did the rest. I couldn't heal nothing. But Lord, with you in me, nothing is impossible. So Lord, thank you for every one of these healings that you've done. And I want to praise you and thank you in advance for those you'll heal today. And I praise you and worship you for the privilege one more time to come and speak your words and to do these wonderful things in your name. Now, Lord, may you use all these people as they go from here to do great and mighty things for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.